This is Tom from Third Rail Design Lab. And this is Chris from DeeplyDapper.com. DeeplyDapper.com, like you're an internet <laughs> provider. You're like it's like pets pets.com with the Sorry, okay, where do I get my where do I get my, my, pup, just, my puppy it, snacks? And it's time asshole. and it's time to da, 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 da. release the Kraken. I predict that the world will end at the stroke of midnight on New Year's Eve. Well, they couldn't get to you until after the New Year. Well, just don't go in there. The season of evil begins with the birth of the New Year. Here's something off the request line from Liberty Island. We gotta squeeze some New Year's juice from you, Big Apple. Happy New Year. Stay fit, keep sharp, make good decisions. Happy New Year! He's Beagle! You're like the buzzing of flies to him! Oh, Johnny, did you back the wrong horse? You hose him, please. Hose him. Chris, deeply dapper, how the hell are you? I am plague ridden. <laughs> Every time but... I ask you, it's either plague or misery or financial distress or all of those things. Well, it's possibly all of those things, but the plague is causing me the most distress right now. So <laughs> I'll, I'll take what I can get. <laughs> but but you know, compared to many times that we've recorded, uh, excluding maybe the sh- the post shows stuff, this is a day when you and I were both being very productive uh, in our this creative pursuits, which is a good thing. Yeah, shockingly. It got me fired up. It got me fired up to talk. So, uh, but before we do, for this particular session, I have to ask you a very important question. And it involves what? what's, what's in your beverage? What are you sucking? What is I, your I monkey re- sucking? I refuse to tell you what I'm sucking the monkey. <laughs> what is your monkey it, sucking? <laughs> it, is a, it, is a, it is a beverage that you refuse to acknowledge exists. Is it Coors Light? Or you give me shit about every time. Oh, is it ectoplasm or whatever it is? <laughs> it's wassail, man. It's wassail. <laughs> oh, okay. So all of those things. It's Coors Light mixed with ectoplasm. Yes, Coorstoplasm. Oh, my gosh. You heated it. And I it, did. It has alcohol in it or it doesn't? It can have alcohol in it, but it does not tonight. That's right. I don't make it with alcohol. I just spike it when, when desired. I understand. And you're trying to maintain your ways and means. Um, yeah, I'm, I, yeah, basically. <laughs> I like I like when we record with uh, beginning in Blake Simmons. He alternates between uh, being under you know serious physiological uh, injury, and so he'll he'll be drinking like you know what like 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 electrolyte fluids and have a have, have like a sack of intravenously uh, introduce medications or he'll be having a chardonnay mixer <laughs> it's like, or 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 it'll be or it'll be he'll have some uh, sparkling flavored sparkling water and you know just vodka <laughs> so yeah. i never yeah, know what i'm gonna get with him that he's drinking from that's exactly or he'll or it sounds like he's mixing something terrible but it's two separate drinks and he's just <laughs> enough about him he's not here yeah, where's he at? Okay. Uh, he's Bermuda or something. No, he's working. He's hard. He's working hard. It's the end of the year, and he's ah. 
He's got to review things and make comments about things and evaluate other things and slash budgets and things and whatever. Creating so, quasi-meat and right. driving the Mach Rover and who knows what else. Correct. All those things. So he wishes he could be here, <laughs> but he basically wanted me to assure you that whatever my opinions are that I that I express, he agrees with them. So, I call bullshit on that completely. Speaking of bullshit, you didn't ask me what I was drinking. What are you drinking? You you hadn't finished talking yet. <laughs> it has nothing to do with it. <laughs> to be fair, if I wait for you to stop talking, we would never get to it. So. No, you son of what a are you drinking? Let's see how you are. It's already started with that. So uh, I'm having some bullet rye and some Canada dry. I'm calling it the gas leak today. Ooh, rye and dry. Yeah. The gas the leak. Gas leak, huh? Why, why the gas leak? Uh, because I usually drink a straight rye beverage, and so when you add the mineral water to it, it kind of reminds me of... Barney? Uh, no. Yeah. It just <laughs> reminds me of when uh, I used to work at a gas station in college, and people would come and protest because they said that the station was diluting the gas with water and you know causing the engines to not run well. And I knew that what it was was actually there was just like um, a crack in the seal at the top of the big uh, underground reservoir. So it's a very personal reference reason for your name. Correct. Name. Correct. <laughs> but our 333 listeners expect no less. So that's accurate. <laughs> so anyway, so here we are. It's December of 2018, and here and and we've it gotten is. through an entire year with many things that have happened, and also many things that we've forgotten that happened. Um, but uh, it was a it was quite a year, I think. A lot of stuff. We yeah, thought, we thought we talked a little bit about it. Entire year, and we've managed to not do an end of year list the entire year. Somehow, <laughs> but now would be a good time to do it. And now we've come to the end of the year and thought, <laughs> let's do this. Um, How have we missed out on this the whole year? You know, it's funny. I mean, we I I tend to do more prep. I think that on these um, than you have time for. But in this particular instance, you and I both planned in advance that we would talk about what we're going to talk about. And so we did a little research, but what I found interesting was a couple of days ago when we talked about this, I looked up, I just kind of went to a couple of the main entertainment sites and no one had any of their end of the year lists up. And I thought, oh, well, okay. -da, we're going to be first as usual. We're going to <laughs> just, you know, lead, lead the pack with our yeah. uh, intelligent discourse. And then uh, tonight I, there's a ton of them. So, <laughs> but ours is better. So you for getting on the internet. That's right. I read the. If you're comment. not on there. You can delude yourself. <clears throat> oh, Chris, I read the comments. That's the problem. So, uh. <laughs> but uh, but I mean, I think as far as entertainment, there was a lot of good stuff, and we're going to talk about it. But also, um, first though, I you know it was a year with um, you know some interesting things that happened to us in terms of our art and our uh, and our convention going. And we should talk a little bit about that. Yes. Yeah. We, we yeah. Went to, we went to shows. We did go to shows, and we changed the way we did some things, and still did other things the same. That's right. <laughs> this well, was the most shows in a year I've ever done. Wow. I was. I, th I think we. I think we ended at thirty-two shows. That's your record. Thirty-two shows. You couldn't fit one more in. <laughs> I tried, man, but these shows cancel sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, this is, this has been a year for me where we came to the, you know, the real, the inevitable conclusion that we both had so much stuff and for some reason or other, mine continues to grow 
Um, and we decided that we needed to be Lack sensible. Of free spring. <laughs> and we decided to spread out, you know, spread out into full size. You know, we, we, we start last year at this time we were sharing the space that this year we both occupied at virtually every show we did. Yeah. If yeah. Not more. Um, yeah. Hey, we're not above land grabs. I love, yes. Well, listen, I mean, it's, some would say you have to spend the money to make the money. And in my case, you have to spend that money. Um, but you know, the thing is, I, it seemed, I, I, for me, I mean, I got, I had enough stuff to do that earlier, but it was just, I had trouble wrapping my head around the idea that I would, um, that I would gobble up, gobble up more than one table and create a larger display and man it myself. And, you know, over the year I, I found uh, good ways to optimize that and a few ways not to. So it was an interesting, it was an interesting year of highs and lows in terms of, of the con experience, almost uniformly positive uh, emotional experiences at the shows. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed them all with, with one exception, right? Which was pandemic, but, <laughs> but um, with your conspicuous absence, which is directly related, I'm sure. But uh, but I'm also saying when I'm there, it's a good time. Yeah, but I mean, you know, it was it was a really good year for trying out trying things out and kind of finding the groove of how I wanted to display and and present the work. And you know, it's hard to believe that in it's only been this year that I went from just having some portfolios. Well, I guess la- late last year I switched from portfolios to bins. But it was the beginning of this year that I got serious about it and expanded the amount of coverage that I had, and then expanded the back display and then eventually upsized to big poster displays and and just went all yeah, tilt we about posters we yeah. started bagging and boarding our prints yep. and kind of giving a little more of a, a deluxe feel to them when we're selling them i think making so. them feel more worth the the exclusive pricing and i think so delicate printing processes that we give to all of our art i agree <laughs> i agree um, you, but you have always had a lot of variety on your table, and in some ways, yeah. part of your challenge this year was experimenting with ways to have less of the variety due to necessity and other times for strategy. For example, yeah, we've started. Yeah. We've definitely started phasing out certain items and deciding what's worth. Like, a lot of the stuff we have on our table, it's there because it brings people over to the table, but it doesn't necessarily sell. Right. And we started trying to figure out what those items are and how we can put something else in that space that will still draw people over. Because those people do come over and they do buy. It's just not the thing that brought them there in the first place. Right. And we haven't figured out exactly what that balance is yet. And I think it changes from show to show and kind of what the the tone of the crowd is and even what's happening what's yeah. happening in their experience at that show with the celebrities and their frustrations and what they're what they're in the market for i mean uh you know interestingly enough i think you know you've done really well with with targeting art or or uh displaying uh you know work that is related to celebrities that are going to be at a show that's very savvy but you know there are other times when i mean i've done that and uh that was not what it might have been something that attracted them or they came over asking for things that were related to people at the show, but then they would, mm. then they would, they would be the hook and then they would explore. And by a fair amount, I think those things didn't sell for me. Um, you know, I think generally speaking, that's accurate. Uh, like even shows where I have done that a lot of the times. Yeah. It's 
it's more to get people to the table to where they're like, oh, Val Kilmer, let's go check out his table. Yeah. But it's really not the piece that ends up selling for those people. Because I think there's also um, saturation. So you're right. at a show with, uh, you know, Chris Evans, and there's a ton of Captain America art everywhere. But right. if someone comes over and says, oh, there's Captain America art, and they come over to look, but then they see the things you have that are not the Captain America art, but that are cool, then right. I think that's the hook. Uh, one of the recent shows, I can't remember if it was Rose City or what, but it was, uh, you know, Evangeline Lilly was there, and I put up my mm-hmm. Wasp stuff, and two or three Wasp prints, and I put those up. And I had a, n- a number of people come and say, I saw the mouth Wasp, as they're talking to their partner, or they come over and they look at that, and then they say, oh, because they were not the traditional, they weren't the, co- the uniform she wears in the movie, but they might say, right. oh, what's this one? Oh, it's the first appearance of Wasp in the comics. Or what's this one? Oh, it was her, you know, late 2000s redesign when she was brought back from the dead or whatever. That is the, because I, <laughs> I tend to just draw the... You're like, into, oh, oh, that was an outfit that she wore for 33 seconds. Well, of, hey, no, but this, yeah. a very, this is a good example of this because, A, I like to draw the obtuse stuff, but also the Wasp character is one of Marvel's best examples of of someone that is a clothes horse, right? They have a million different That's designs. Right. There are websites dedicated to all of her looks, um, even prior to when there was a website about every everyone's look. Do you know what I mean? Like right. her and Kitty right. Pride and a few others, they had a million. They had a million different looks, and often for no reason. And so it, it, that's a conversation point for me, uh, because people would at the show would come up and say, "That's what is that." version of wasp i said well it's this which is odd because this and this was happening and i also remember she was on the avengers during this era and look at these ones i did and so on and so on and that's how i end up getting getting them hooked in something interesting so you know right it's good but i you know i wouldn't have that up every time i can't think of any show this year where i had stuff uh on prominent display that was related to celebrities that are at the show that really sold but I didn't think it was a waste yeah, of marketing uh, real estate either. So, yeah, no, I agree. I, I do feel like, like even the times that I have, like my real genius piece doesn't necessarily sell, but when it's out and Val Kilmer's at a show, it does bring people over to the table, and Absolutely. then we start talking these movies and blah blah blah. And it's very familiar so, too. It's a very um, nostalgic, familiar image, and I think that that really helps as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, but the other, the other thing is, because I moved to the big display items, the posters, and that has made the space for the variety to be much less um, emphasized, I've had to be more strategic about the other, the small pieces that I show. And so, because my whole back display is large poster pieces, of which there were 16 this year, a few more now, um, <laughs> and... <laughs> I just came out of the door with 16. And then, uh, but, but you know, it used to be a wall of prints, right? Now I have just, right. I found a way of hanging them across the front of the of the bins that you go through and then along the table edge and then right around the perimeter of the posters, the kind of the new stuff, and I put new stickers on them. But, you know, for the most part, I have to pick representative things that I think are going to um, represent different, different uh, sort of interesting little nodes in what I've done. And hope mm-hmm. that that's enough to get them close enough to say, look at these bins, look at the sign that says how many hundreds of prints I have, and and go, right? And and doing right. that has led to me displaying more pop culture friendly imagery 
like you do and most successful artists at the shows do, which in the past I didn't necessarily do. Like right now right. I have examples up that are, you know, there's more maybe Disney princesses and more, you know, uh, popular anime and sort of, you know, I don't know, just different, different genre stuff than just my, my sort of classic superhero stuff. And I think that's a right. benefit to me because you go to my table and you start to look and you know immediately that I'm going to have a lot of different um, sort of mainstream super stuff. But that other yeah. fringe stuff that I display at the table are invitations to people who are looking for things other than spandex. And that's very important for me because I have a lot of that stuff in there, too, that you might not even otherwise know is there. So, yeah, true. But, um, we also had a couple of occasions, unfortunately, where one or the other of us had to back out, um, putting the other of us in a position to do a fairly last minute redesign of our displays to make use of that additional space and that has been yeah that's one of the, the challenge i mean i love doing shows with you and like it's it's so great being able to do a show that way but it is definitely a challenge because both of us have real lives outside of this and it's hard to sometimes find the ability to both of us actually show up to some of these shows so it's been it's been a challenge but i think it's been fun when we can both get there definitely yeah, yeah, and I think I mean we'll we'll definitely in a minute we'll talk a little bit about our our art and show goals maybe for next year, but but I will say though that I think um, I think that some of my setbacks in terms of attendance this year were at least temporary. Like I know, with one exception, uh, that these were based on personal circumstances that were unexpected and out of my control. Whereas, right. um, you know, the thing with here, so I missed Heroes and Villains uh, San Jose again for the third year in a row, <laughs> which pissed me <laughs> off because I like the San Jose crowd and I have regular customers there I wanted to see. But two years in a row, my daughter's ballet recital was scheduled on that weekend. And then this year they didn't. So I made the, <laughs> I made the plan <laughs> and then they moved it. <laughs> so I was right. like, oh, again. So, you know, I, that frustrates me. And so at this point, in, you know, it, unless I see... Um, really solid evidence that they're uh, well we have other issues with heroes and villains right now but the the point is yeah, i'm yeah. just gonna i'm gonna stay away from that weekend from now on because there's it's just a waste of time and money um yeah i get that but everything else has been a temporary setback you know and then for you having missed pandemic that was obviously not only a blessing for you but it was obviously <laughs> due to due to uh you know a personal struggle with your with your beloved doggo that was very important right. to spend that time and i'm glad that you made that choice but um so anyway, uh, so it, uh, the other thing I was going to say was this was also a year, you've done it before, it was also a year where you were in a position to run two separate booths in different places with different content and try to assess whether one or the other was doing better and whether did it I was based on... Year? Yes, you did. You did. Oh. Uh, you did. Uh, didn't you? Uh, wasn't it Heroes and Villains so. Portland last year that you did? I mean, that was last year, beginning of this year. No, that was like two two Portlands ago. Uh, didn't we have another one? We this were year? next to each other in Portland, Portland this year. Yeah, but didn't you have a second table with Lynn's doing it? No, that was the other. That was the year before when we met uh, Fox and all those guys. And remember, uh, we were facing that direction. Yeah. So this isn't unintended advertisement for the gas leak a delicious beverage that can <laughs> well this was a year 2018 was a year where you could have done that <laughs> we, we 
could have, yes. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> I think it's been an interesting year also to, um, uh, certainly as my, I've always had confidence in my work, but not a lot of confidence in its, in its uh, uh, marketability or its appeal. That's why it's taken, it was slow for me to bring merchandise to market that I already had, and then I, and then I hit it hard. But it's been interesting yeah. to follow your advice and the advice of some of uh, our other art friends at the shows, um, like Michael Claro and uh, Thomas Overby, who would say, you know, hey, these are the things I'm doing, and they work for me, and this might or might not work for you. And, you know, each of them have had some really good input that has helped me. Right. Um, I, I, I don't see myself going in either of their directions particularly, but but they each had some really good, some strong wisdom from their experience doing shows and, and the nuance of how certain things seem to have uh, a big impact depending on the venue. And, you know, it certainly affected how I, how I think of the strategy of how I put something together, which, you know, even last year, I didn't have that much of that in mind. Yeah. Um, so anyway, do you, um, and then on the, uh, on the personal production level, I mean, you know, mine, my year was just a broken record of I'm working on those sketchbooks and I'm working on the art on the game and <laughs> just <laughs> constantly oh, in the meantime, 60 new art pieces, you know, yeah, always really. makes you mad. But, um, but it was a very, it was still an extremely productive year for me. It doesn't seem like it because I'm not done. But when I was thinking earlier about, you know, I was kind of looking at the date stamps of things and I was looking at how, you know, starting from the beginning of 2018 and looking at what was, what was done in terms of the, not just the, the prints, but, um, you know, the actual, um, you know, creator-owned work. There's a lot that was done. I just, I wasn't able to um, wrap it up in the way I had hoped, and it's still ongoing into 2019. But, boy, oh boy, there was a lot of, uh, of uh, structural work that was put in. Right. Very productive. All things considered, given how busy I am, it's, I'm amazed at, frankly... I mean, even excluding the business trips and stuff, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty amazed that I got as much done as I did and that, I ha that I'm that i in a position to basically finish things as opposed to um, creating them from scratch. But And then yeah. you created, an, you started a number of projects, some Kickstarters and then some other stuff that you've been working on that's new for this past year. Yeah, yeah, I, um, we didn't really, like... Like, we did our Christmas one like we always do, and I did the Kickstarters that we've done in the past, like the enamel pins. But honestly, like, this year, I didn't really produce that much stuff because we have about a thousand things that we're gearing up for next year with right. that we've been working on instead. And that's both frustrating and exciting, but, yeah, like, I, I did, like, maybe seven or eight new pieces, and that's about it. Um, but we did a lot of behind the scenes stuff, I guess is the way to put it. But I consider that, I mean, I'm thinking of that productivity too. I did a lot of output, but, um, you know, I'm thinking more about the, the, the back of house stuff that's going to lead to finished product later. I mean, that's a, that's a lot of doing and you did a lot right. of that too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you've got a, you've got an entire, um, publishing house where the stuff about to come out. <laughs> <laughs> Theoretically, <laughs> I'm really excited about it. Do I don't you want to me or not? But <laughs> do you um, do you want to talk a little bit about 2019 and what it holds for us as artists yeah, and yeah, sure. creators and stuff? I've got 
Well, I've got two things coming out theoretically that I'm really excited about on the game front. I'm finally doing a Kickstarter on my RPG that I've been toying with for years now. And that's hopefully going to be January, February now. It was going to be late 2019, but we've moved it up. We had a few things kind of shift around and it's coming up quick. <laughs> so that's yeah. what I've been the way out right now. That's super fun. I like it. That one's called Streetlights and Shadows. And uh, I'm excited about it. It's a noir RPG, but it's designed to be like a quick one, two hour case that you're solving. So it's not like like you can carry your character forward to follow uh, following sessions, but it's designed really to kind of dive in, play a case in the streets, and then fade into the dark kind of thing. So that's really exciting. Um, that's going to be out January or February. I haven't quite decided yet. And then <clears throat> I'm Wait, still I, waiting for I have some. a question about that. Yeah, what's um, up? I know we don't have to go into super detail because that's going to be for your Kickstarter uh, page. But um, when thinking about the structure of a noir uh, game based on solving cases, are you mm-hmm. structuring this in such a way that you are providing ammunition for the judge or the GM to create the mystery or the case kind of like clue and then the play and then that gives them the framework that they have to put together and then the player has to work out or sort of is it more player oriented i'm certainly going to be doing cases um that people can play i have a bunch of them plotted out right now that i haven't written but the whole point of an rpg a lot of the times is for that game master to create a game catered to the people that are going to be playing it yeah and so what we do i'm i'm ma- i made a system and i'm calling it the scar system scar. which stands for story card and role playing system yes sir and a bulk of my game system that i've created is going to be played with cards so I'm creating a deck of cards for events, a deck of cards for items, a deck yep. of cards for NPCs, and a deck of cards for each of the different types of story modes. There's going to be twists and plot devices and locations and all of this stuff that either the GM or the director, as I'm calling him in this thing right now, That's I haven't great. decided yeah. on the um, can either draw them out as the game progresses and just kind of wing it on the fly based off of what cards he's pulling, or he can use those cards as a framework while he's constructing his cases before they come over. That's great. You've been really, you've been really um, an advocate of the card-based um, sort of resource for role-playing games, which is, I think, very interesting. I didn't... Yeah, you know, it's something that yeah. hasn't been really extensive like it does there's a few exist for just D, and they're all secondary market type things and my one of the things i love about it is that it's got the physicality to it sure but it also lets you randomize things on the spot i like the idea that if somebody's rummaging through some thug's pocket that they just knocked out they pulled a card off of the item deck and that's what they find in the pocket i think that's really it's so suited to what you're doing i mean that's yeah, so great. It, it adds a board game element to it yeah, yeah. um there's going to be a touch of dexterity to the fighting on this because i want to keep fighting very simple yeah and so when you're fighting you actually roll like let's say your uh strength for a melee fight is a, a d8 
you roll that D8 on a chalk outline of a body. And not only do you have to hit the point to like get past their dexterity to do damage, but depending on where that die lands, that's where you hit the person. That's really it's clever. It's a little <laughs> it's more really like, clever. Yeah, it's I, I wanted something that wasn't just, oh, you have fifteen hit points left or and then you're dead. Yeah. I wanted this is this is the alley. Yeah. The bullets have real reactions to them. So if somebody hits you in the head with a bullet, you're not just gonna lose some hit points. <laughs> yeah. That's really great. You know, um I played a lot of Cyberpunk uh two thousand twelve and then later two thousand twenty. It influenced my modern role-playing game sensibilities quite a bit and the house rules of things I did back then too. And one of the things that even 2012 did, um, which is halfway towards what you're doing was that mm-hmm. because everything was largely ballistic combat, right? Uh, you, mm-hmm. you always, you were always doing a, regardless of, you know, if you hit, if you made a hit, then you were rolling a secondary uh, dice throw to match up to a body shape and figure out where you hit the body. So exactly. you're, in your case, you know, the single role is doing both at one time, but uh, that was something yeah. I always really appreciated um, because it was much more visceral if you knew you got someone in the neck, you know, rather than you right. know, mighty blow. <laughs> <laughs> well, and the thing about the cards, though, I mean, you know, the, the phenomenon of card-based games in fantasy adventuring and stuff, you know, that happened after me in the role-playing game market, right? I was... I was right. selling selling games and at a store in LA, and I was man, and I was playing games um, in the seventies and eighties, and into the nineties. I was and 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 even into the aughts, I was doing uh, isolated games with people, but outside of the industry, right? But in right. the but in the in the game store world, it was still all paper games, paper and dice games, and so mm. the Magic the Gathering movement was after me, and. I remember when that first started happening. I mean, this is not, you know, this is exclusively card play, based playing, but when that started, I was very um incredulous because it seemed so limited. It seemed so much like a board game or a tabletop game of some kind which I wasn't that into, and it took some maturity on my part to I I was never into magic, but it took some maturity on my part to realize that board games, tabletop games uh, you know, um, tactical combat simulators, fi- uh, miniature-based games, and card games all have different um, fun benefits to them. And that variety right. is interesting if you can get yourself out of the elitist box of, I have to be sitting around a table with the GM screen blocking my crap and everybody is sitting there yakking for hours, right? It, there right. was a certain... I had these rules set established for myself when I was younger that um, what I think is interesting is now in the market... I don't fully understand the gaming market today. I'm excited about the things you tell me about it. But, you know, my general sense from looking at the stuff that is at people's tables and is available is that people, not just with gaming, but with other types of media at the shows, they're more open to a variety of formats and sizes and types of content that they like and not as traditionalist in one particular it's phenomenal man like the uh evolution and revolution in board games is something that if i could get you to my house to play games and i don't have a very extensive selection it's yeah i think it would just it would suck you in so fast 
that you would be the biggest board gamer I know. Just based <laughs> off of what I know about you, being able to do that, you it would blow you away, man. Well, it's and you know, that's something I look forward to with my kids. I mean, there's a lot of um, aspects of uh, gaming entertainment that I just have on pause because I know that I have I have a built-in uh, <laughs> system here. Right. With these two kids, I just have to uh, get them. You know, I've started with basic role-playing with them. And mm-hmm. they just unlocked video gaming, uh, which was a big deal in my household. Um, as you may recall, <laughs> Zoe, when she was young, she played, um, or she sort of played, uh, you know, Gran Turismo with me on the PlayStation. Right? She was smashing a controller around at age two, and I was and I was racing. Um, and then when my son was born, my wife and I made the decision together to uh, to pull the games away from the kids and try to get them focused only on creative play. And as a result, Zoe would still say, uh, you know, I I feel like I remember playing a racing game with you. And I'd be like, I don't talk about go clean your room. But, um, you know, I, I, I respect your guys's parenting. I think you guys are some of the best parents I've known. I think you want what's the absolute best for your kids and you guys kill yourself trying to get there. But I got to tell you, man, being over at your house and watching that God awful camp show on the Disney channel. (laughs) No, listen. There are some better alternatives in the video game world. <laughs> that was terrible. I know. I, you have the, I, I have a bare minimum of that on <laughs> whenever I can. But I'm being, I'm being, um, I'm being generous about it being joint decisions. But I'm just saying, we all, we all pick our battles. We all pick our battles, and this was something that was very important, particularly to my wife, um, because she saw so much of what she thought of as kids just sticking their heads in video games and at the expense of other things. And, right. you know, the fallacy of violence and all that. But anyway, the point is, I had no problem with stalling out on video games because I figured they'll come in later and we'll do right. we'll do drawing and we'll play with Legos and we'll do other things. I'm happy to do that. And my kids get so little actual TV time, you just happen to see it. <laughs> but, I mean, and it wasn't great. <laughs> but um, the reality, though, is that we reached we finally reached a point um, uh, just in the last few weeks where... Um, you know, the sort of the peer pressure of other kids having stuff. And we knew that was happening. I was kind of waiting for that to be an inevitability in my house. And we finally unlocked it because my son became absolutely fascinated with Minecraft, which you will appreciate because ah. it's video Legoing, right? It's basically yeah, video game true. based Legoing. So, uh, so I basically tied that to, you know, um, points having been earned by doing chores and stuff and not being screw ups. And, uh, and then they earn little windows of time on it on the weekends. And so well, I and, love it. And, and, I mean, your kids are like 17 and 12 now, right? Yes, right. <laughs> Seven and nine. <laughs> they seem to be aging incredibly, incredibly fast. Yes. Well, and my point, though, to this is that um, they are, uh, while I'm still waiting for them to reach a maturity level to where some of the really fun and interesting board games and card games and and role-playing games can come in um i know it's coming and when it does i'm going to go crazy oh yeah and you're going to be the guide for leading us down i I already have a list of games that i'm (laughs) waiting to buy you when i know that they'll actually be able to be played oh i I think that's amazing and so i mean but we've already (laughs) you know we have reached that threshold point so first of all they picked up minecraft really fast and i was very impressed to watch how quickly Mm -hmm. they mastered the controller and what they were doing 
they're more destructive than building at this point, but they're into it. Um, but also, you know, even in terms of the card games, we're doing less of just the go fish and stuff. And, you know, we just started playing Exploding Kitten finally after having it for three years or whatever it is. And uh, and then Crabs is next. And, you know, I, I'm excited about it. So it won't be too long before, honestly, it will not be too long before my kids and I are playing a certain Build-A-Monster game. Yes, hopefully. That I can think of. Um <laughs> Uh, you had another project that you were going to mention besides that, I think. Uh, yeah, I, I do have my Creature Features game coming out in spring. Mm-hmm. Uh, that one's, I'm finishing the final art on that so that I can do a bunch of prototypes and actually, that one we're going to send out to testers, game yeah. testers, and hopefully get some reviews that we can put on the Kickstarter page and that kind of thing. That's great. Um, but that one's, God, that one's been, what, two years, three years yeah. that I've been working on that now? Yeah, and I enjoyed it. And it's just a simple card game. <laughs> pretty great, though. You refined it pretty, I mean, I think you've got a lot of wisdom behind the logic and how you're putting it together. Yeah, so that one should be really fun. I'm ex- I'm really excited about that game. The RPG, honestly, the reason it got moved up is that we realized with the other Kickstarter, we wouldn't be able to do this game in 2019 unless we did it before Creature yeah. Features. Yeah, yeah. So that's the entirety of the reasoning that it, it happened, but I'm glad it's happening when it is. Yeah, so. that makes sense. You you had put you had expressed um, an opinion with me that you thought that there was a place for expansions in my uh, in my role playing game uh, that would be card based, and I think that there's I think that that's valid as well, and I think that down the road, yeah I think I think uh, down like, the road there, that makes a lot of sense for the uh, it's the expansion packs concept that you talked a lot about that you yeah can I think add, that the, yeah. the card based aspect of RPGs is something that just it's an add-on. It's not something that's really the entirety of something. Like, even with this, it's going to have a book. It's going to have a manual. It's going to have your character sheets and everything. It just adds a different element to it. And I think with your game, I just think you'll have a lot of fun doing, like, the illustrations for the cards and that kind of thing. Well, so. yeah. I mean, and there's a lot of there's a lot of content that is in list form or is quantitative in the right. game as as it is now that is easily adaptable to a card structure as an expansion. So if I, if I make, for example, the, the guy, you know, the main, well, anyway, so, you know, I'm, I have like, you know, a series of locations, that a thing, an encounter could happen. Well, that's a great option for cards, right? <laughs> Draw the locations, yeah, you know, powers. I mean, imagine creating your power, your power set by pulling cards from decks instead of uh, rolling dice. So, I mean, it's, I like it as an. I like the idea that it's an. It's a future alternative to the way the game is structured, which is fun. So on my part, I'm still working years now into this, but finally closing in on completing the super based role playing game that we used to call the TRDL Universe game, and now we're calling Posthuman. And and was it at some point Finity as well, or was that no, just the comic? Finity was Finity was the comic, and and initially Finity was sort of a standalone story and then it sort of um just the reality of of mortality taught me to start to condense the story <laughs> and i realized i wasn't going to be able to draw you know you know nine different 180 page volumes <laughs> right. and so then i realized well maybe i'll just compress to the things i want to just talk about and then i realized well maybe i'm just going to draw an anthology of certain stories and then i realized what i really want to do is just tell the stories doesn't really matter if I draw yeah. them. I'm more interested in designing yeah. the characters than I am actually doing the sequential art. I'm not that great at sequential artist. Art. What's that? Yeah. So, 
you know, I will get back to doing some sequential art, but this has really been my, my primary passion is creating the characters and designing them and then building the background around their world. And so it's very exciting to have the game coming together when this Supers role-playing game is ready. As you know, it will have more content, as with most of the things I do, more content <laughs> that you're going to find from almost anywhere else. Uh, you know, we, we think of D&D and say, well, you know, they've got the monster manual and they've got, you know, this and that and all these modules. But, you know, that's something that developed over years of time, of right. releases. And when D&D first came out, it's kind of an unfair example because it was one of the first of its kind. But, you know, these things start small and then they build they build the library. Um, right. By virtue of the fact that I just kept designing and then never released anything, I built the library in advance. And I have so much <laughs> stuff to release. It's exciting to be at a point where I'm so close to, to getting this on market that um, someone who's interested in this will be able to... Maybe they'll only pick up the player's book and, like, one source book. Maybe... Maybe they'll pick them all up, but regardless, they're going to start to dive into it. And it's like my stacks at the table, right? They're going to deep dive right. and go, what the, you know, because it's crazy. And so I'm, I'm having a lot of fun right now because I went in backwards order, as you know, and this was through your, uh, your encouragement to really legitimize this as a game, as opposed to just as a, as an art project. But, you know, I did the characters and all the world building and then, and the writing first, and then I'm building the sort of the more formal structure of the game on the back end but it's a really exciting time for me because i've got all the character work done i've got the source books done and now i'm just cleaning up and fleshing out the rules and it's so much fun because i know so yeah. i have a life of uh experience in playing games so i know what i want it to be and what i want it not to be and it's very easy <laughs> to write it that way and yes there will be editing involved in where there'll be revisions to this and you know it's going to change over time but man it's fun to get to the end zone, right? So yeah, I'm excited absolutely. about that. I mean, there's no, there's no. I, I'm willing to say this. I hate put myself in this spot, but I'm, but I'm willing to say that this is going to be a 2019 release and and and, <laughs> er, and soon. And I'm really excited about um, getting some of it on the table and being able to talk to some of the, the repeat customers that I've had that have asked about it and new people that maybe didn't know they were in the market for it because, you know, whether I sell a ton or just a few, it's going to be fun to talk about it. Yeah, yeah, and fun absolutely. to play it. So, yeah, that's where I'm sitting with this this game. I don't know that it's going to explode. It's not. It may not even necessarily make the funding much. But the idea that it's on the table and we can be talking about it and gabbing about it and showing it off—that's the fun thing about doing these things. So, I was laughing when you reminded me of your scar system, scar, because scar. Uh, the uh, in the post-human game the. The combat system is called Curse. <laughs> <laughs> Conflict resolution system. Curse. Nice. Uh, curse. So uh, anyway, uh, so that's fun. Stop, I'm, I'm, monkey. <laughs> I'm really excited about it. I'm excited that um, not that long ago in in our lives, uh, we were doing other things and had a lot of other focus in how we had we mutually enjoyed our fandoms and our creative pursuits. You know, mm -hmm. we were doing art collaboration. Uh, you know what now 14 years ago or so yeah. online as internet friends and whatever and and now not only are we doing shows together but we are going to be game publishers together i think it's just uh it's really fun to think about yeah me too um so i'm excited about that aspect of 2019 um i'm also 
interested in the con scene for 2019 because it has been proving to be volatile. <laughs> it has indeed. Yeah. Uh, we uh, we just learned uh, just uh, what was it yesterday? <laughs> yesterday, uh, last night. Out yeah. of the blue, uh, yeah, I got an email, and you got you got it too. Got you got an email that um, Heroes and Villains Fan Fest Walker Stalker Portland canceled the show. Yeah, we're like three weeks away. Yeah, if that, it's like two weeks kind of thing. There it's are. Insane. I just can't. I was trying to talk to my lovely wife about this and try to explain to her the ramifications of a big show folding like that i mean it's it's not a small thing i mean they're choosing it's like these these development projects that i work on where they put all this time and money into they own a site and they put all this work into preparing a building and then at some point they just decide well the numbers don't work out we'll abort and they've and and they'd rather just throw that away than continue to throw good money after bad yeah it's insane i don't know what is driving uh walker stalker or um, heroes and villains from camp canceling their portland show whether it's slow sales or whether it's celebrity backouts or what but my impression had been talking to people on the show floor talking to fans reading online that it was a very popular and um you know a popular show that was doing well and yeah it was certainly well received at the I mean, this was this was going to be our fourth year there. Yeah, and and you know that we we do plenty of shows where we hear from customers who say that they are cash poor because they got fleeced at the door and fleeced at the signature line and they have no more money and all this. Heroes and Villains has a lot of fan service, and for the money, my sense has been that it's a pretty good investment as a as a showgoer. Agreed. You yeah. get a lot for your money. You get a lot of entertainment. Um, just going to all of the different panels and seeing all of these dedicated celebrities that are part of that that system, you know, the Walking yeah. Dead system or the Arrowverse system. So I, I'm really astonished that they would. I mean, they they basically folded two, three shows, right? Three different yeah. shows in yeah, three in one fell. I think, think FanFest is kind of the the umbrella name, but yeah, basically. Well, because in one fell swoop, they've killed all of their California shows, and right. Uh, and also, didn't they also kill, uh, what was the other one? Phoenix or something? What was the other show that they... Well, San Jose was a good show, actually. That was, that's the one we just got done doing that was excellent. But I think that they said they wasn't, they weren't returning, it wasn't returning to the calendar. If you look at their 2019 calendar, it's not on there. I could be wrong. But, Mm. uh, and what's interesting about it is that their marketing has continued. So they've been doing a, a sketchy thing where they have this barrage of discount ticket deals. And their Twitter feed is rife with people, not on Facebook anymore, but I think probably the same there too. People are saying, yeah, getting pretty sarcastic about it, like, oh, it's the biggest sale ever except the one tomorrow and all this. And I don't right. quite understand. I mean, this this blitz of sale uh, sales in two and three for one and four for one and all this. I mean, not only does it smack a Wizard World, but you know, it's it's it smacks of the place that's perpetually going out of business and you know, right fast. It just seems so huckstery and so. I, I don't know if that's related. I don't know what's going on. But at the same time that they tell us vendors, oh, we canceled, sorry, they've made no public statement about it in any of their media. Right. But it, Yeah, it, there's just rumors and BS about it. It's just they're continuing it's, the, the I mean they're continuing the propaganda blitz about sales and they're sending out the stuff about these other shows happening elsewhere in the country. And if you go to their website right now and you look for Portland, you get a blank page. So you get their framework and it's empty. They haven't even put a right. We canceled notice. It's just like it, it broke. 
yeah, so I don't, crazy to me. I don't know what's going on because this is not, I mean, I expect this from Wizard World. And frankly, I expect mm-hmm. it from Pandemic based on how that show was put together. <laughs> I didn't expect it from Heroes and Villains. We've had pretty good experiences with the organization there as well as the, obviously, the fans and, and the profitability yeah, yeah. of the show. So I don't know. I I was pretty disappointed. I was personally disappointed that they did that. It's catastrophic to you as well in terms of your plans for the beginning of the year. Yeah, it's a, it's yeah. A bad the, time to lose the, a show. Yeah, Friday or Friday, January. The only shows I had booked were uh, the two Fan Fest Heroes and Villains shows and a show in Albuquerque, which we were literally just doing because it was the weekend before the one in Phoenix. So we planned on hitting Albuquerque, then over to Phoenix and home. And now all I have left is that one in Albuquerque. But luckily I don't, I don't have, I, did I tell you that Seamus reached out to me? Uh, I did. Right. Uh, this is about Ace. Yeah. About Ace. Yeah. So, ta- so tell me about it, it sounds like, what's that? Tell me. I mean, well, expand. so I, uh, uh, Stephen Seamus, one yes. of the, the guys that started Wizard Comics back in the day. Right. Um, actually, Wizard Magazine. Uh, message on Facebook after he saw a post on one of the groups I was in and was like, hey, we'd love to have you at Ace. Uh, here's some contact info. We'll find you a table kind of thing. So and, that's and which, pretty cool. And where is that show and when? That is in Glendale, Arizona. Uh-huh. And it's the weekend that Portland was happening previously. Oh, interesting. So the plus of that is that that means I'll do that show, then hit the Albuquerque show. Yeah, that's good. So there's not much more gas involved or anything like that. Albuquerque's crazy cheap. So I'll be able to, uh, we're just getting an Airbnb for like $40 a night for that time in between. And we're just going to hunker down and work on the game. So I don't have a sense of where Glendale is, but. It was it's, Glend- it's Glendale, California like to California. Northwest of Phoenix. It's ah, okay. basically Phoenix. Hmm. So. Well, that's, I mean, that's, you went from disaster to recovery pretty damn quick. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm nervous about the Ace shows. They're one of those shows where they bring in big name guests. Yeah. yeah, so, yeah. I mean, we're talking Hiddleston and. Sure. Tenant and. Their autographs are two hundred plus dollars. Their photo yeah. ops are two hundred plus dollars. And is it a three three day show or a two day show? It's a two day show. Oh, I don't know if that's so gonna be bad. It's gonna be a tight one. Um, but <coughs> it hopefully will mean I'll make at least make enough to cover you know the mortgage. Yeah, important. <laughs> so. Well, yesterday we were all fired up about getting getting a chance to record again because you know the schedules being what it have has been as listeners regular listeners know i mean i've done a lot of more recent recordings with uh beginning in blake uh simmons who lives here right. in the san francisco bay area with me and, and had less opportunities to record with you for a variety of reasons and here we are all fired up to to record last night and then i got that new like <laughs> i saw that thing and i and i texted yeah. you about it immediately and you were like what the f are you talking about you, yeah. you gas leak drinking son of a bitch. And then sure enough, it was real. <laughs> and that basically just, it was like someone, you ran your ship into an iceberg, right? <laughs> that was not great. Yeah, basically. Um, but I'm glad, I'm really glad to hear that there's um, something. So here's the rub. Um, I love Portland. I love that town. I love going to it with you. And I love mm-hmm. the fan base there that I have developed. I have repeat customers and, and also just a really good uh, vibe for strangers there. 
have really good experiences right. in Portland. And so having two shows in Portland in the year, Heroes and Villains, beginning of the year, Rose City at the end, has always been, um, those are like my two, I consider them my staple shows. Like I was really yeah. excited about the idea that I always have that. I'm willing to drive there. You do this all the time. For me, to take the time to drive to these shows out of state, it's a huge burden in terms of my opportunity cost. I was stoked that those exist. And to lose one of the two really bothers me because we need to find another really good, fan-friendly, profitable, fun, and reasonably close show that we can both do together. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if it's going to be a Salt Lake show or what, but it, we got to find another one or hope that something fills this void in Portland. It's, it would astonish me if all Portland has is Rose City at in fall right something's got to fill this void i just don't know what it is but i hope something does because uh i really like i like the tradition of it you know somebody fill tom's void please do now here's the rub and and it's really painful so (laughs) yesterday i find out that that okay so what we hadn't told people and i hadn't brought up to any of my regular um friends online and stuff is that uh due to some but you know, some personal family pro- situations, I was going to have to not go to Portland this January, which was right. painful, but it was necessary for the family. Couldn't do it. I got to watch the kids. So I looked at this as the tragic one-time miss of heroes and villains, but I would make up for it later. <laughs> and it was really, it was tragic. We were looking forward to doing it together. It was very exciting. Like we talked no. about, and then all of a sudden I have to back out. So you were going to use all four tables and it was this whole thing. Uh, so then yesterday I find out that the show has been canceled and I felt bad, bad, bad for the, for the tradition of the show, but also like, well, <laughs> you know, I guess it's a moot point now. Right. And then last right. night, and then last night I found out that very, very likely my family concern may have vaporized. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> so if that show had not been canceled, I very likely would have been contacting you later this week to tell you it's on. <laughs> Damn you, son! Damn you! you should just fly to, uh, to Portland or to Phoenix and hang yeah. Out well, <laughs> you know, there's some there are multiple factors right now, as you know, that I'm dealing with. So it's it's probably not the best time anyway. But it's just I couldn't believe the timing of this. I'm like, are you kidding? Yeah, <laughs> like, that's hilarious. Uh, but uh, so anyway, so okay, so we still, I still have Rose City. Honestly, I only have two shows booked for next year at this moment. And I am looking mm-hmm. for looking to see what other, you know, what are going to be other good fits. And I need to talk to you about that separately. But uh, I do have Rose City at the end of the year. Um, but the other exciting thing for me is that after several attempts, I got into WonderCon. In yes. Atlanta, which is pretty damn exciting. Uh, it's another long drive and it's, and you know, it's a first time show for me. Um, but, uh, but I'm stoked about it because it's my hometown. You know, so that'll be happening at the end of March, my birthday weekend, actually. Nice. S- sadly, That's, you won't and that there. is unfortunately the same weekend I'm in uh, Kansas, Kansas City? City, I think. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, that's going to be quite a thing because I'll pack the forerunner up and drive down uh, the coast and go to my old hometown and, you know, crash with my mom and hang out with her and then drag my ass across the the valley into Anaheim to, uh, you know, the world of Disneyland to go do, uh, to do the WonderCon every day and then head home and, 
and then shortly thereafter go back down there with my family for Disneyland. So, <laughs> but I mean, I'm I'm super excited because I've been trying to get into not just an LA show but a big one um, for this entire time I've been doing shows and to, right. finally, to break that. I mean, it's you know I don't know. It's not it's not like Emerald City break in, but I mean, geez. <laughs> It surprised me. It surprised me that it finally yeah. happened, so uh, I'm stoked about it. I'm optimistic, so I would love to have big things to show at that show. But I don't know. Even if I don't, I got my other stuff, so we'll see. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, I'm optimistic about 2019. I think we're going to have some good stuff coming out, and I think we're going to have some good shows, and we got to find some more shows to do together, even if they're, you know, yeah. dare I say. <laughs> we'll be good. <laughs> Run by the Empire? We'll figure it out. Um, so yeah, that's our 2018 and 2019, uh, wrap up in our art and con world. Uh, we, uh, we also have been tending to talk about entertainment news on this podcast and what has happened in the, uh, in the months that we have been podcasting throughout the year. Um, there's been a lot of stuff that's happened in the last year, a lot of stuff coming. I will tell you the previous, uh, podcast session, I did some some sort of news bits with uh with beginning and blake and there were a few more that came up uh in these last few weeks and i thought maybe we just touch on a few of those and get your read on whether they are interesting or not interesting and then we talk about our wrap-up uh i have some items do you want to hear my items (laughs) okay yes what are your items item uh despite i mean i'm just incredulous about this but despite itself venom is still making money yeah and in fact i just discovered that it was released on itunes and they have branded it the romantic action comedy venom (laughs) (laughs) well okay oh man you know like making the best of it i guess i just I i mean i will see it man i guess i will i just yeah i will too at some point here i just can't believe that it's still going it's so bad and yet somehow I don't know I mean there's a whole I mean there's a whole decade of 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 comic material from which this sprang that I didn't relate to so in a sense I'm not that surprised that it's that it does well because it has that yeah. that fan base but at the same time No that's true yeah Power like, Ra- I, the I latest just... Power Rangers was had a fan base decades old and it bombed so, Right I don't know What do you think I don't know. I I'll watch it. I'll probably like it just fine. I probably won't love it, but I probably won't hate it. I don't know. I might hate it, but I don't really have enough emotion about it yeah. either way to hate it. I don't think. Frankly, that's, that's how I felt about Transformers stuff. I haven't seen a lot of it, but I remember and TMNT as well. Like I I got that it existed and that it had nostalgia attached to it, but I didn't. I wasn't emotionally invested at all, so it didn't matter whether it was good or not. Yeah. Um, also, uh, another trailer for Godzilla: King of the Monsters came out, and even more importantly, it was paired with a, a triptych of really great color block posters. Um, yeah, those posters are cool. I can't believe that. I mean, this is a great counterpoint to Venom. Here's another pretty ridiculous, uh, you know, nostalgic property that shouldn't be successful in the modern era being redone by westerners and it looks great <laughs> so i don't even yeah yeah watch <coughs> the other godzilla what you think of that uh so i liked i liked the last one i thought it was 
Um, I thought the cinematography was really neat. I thought the uh, the choices about framing and composition were very interesting. And I don't remember now, if we ever talked about it at the time, although I took copious uh, notes about I don't it. Know but if we did or not? Yeah, I mean stuff like the you know the the uh, para- paratroopers jumping when sending the red trails behind them and creating these blood streaks of claw mark down and through which you see in the fog and smoke or whatever the the massive scale of the Godzilla that's so much bigger than we've ever seen and you know there was a lot of that framing and then yeah. uh, and then so I. I didn't like everything about the movie and the choices that were made with the characters, but I did really like the, um, I did like the, the, the way in which it was being told. And mm-hmm. then, uh, thereafter, Oh, wow. You just sent me a link to heroes and villains, uh, Nashville. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I noticed someone no on Fox the, given no on Fox it. given yeah. on it. Yeah, we were just talking about her. We met her at Portland two yeah. years ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's great. Yeah, it's kind of um, funny. So, uh, what was I going to say? Oh, so so I liked I liked the choices that were being made in the way that they presented that Godzilla film, if not everything about its plot. And then uh, and then I saw the Kong Skull Island movie, which I thought was going to be garbage. And again, oh, you there did were... see that. I was going to ask if you'd seen it. Yeah, and um, I tell you I what, love it. again, I, yeah, I don't. Maybe another time we'll do. Maybe we'll do a roundup of these giant monster movies uh, as a, as an episode because I think we could. But um, you know, again, I thought that the you know those those two legged snake snakeoids were a terrible design, and there was some really boring, yeah, they were boring monsters that were created. But the overall presentation of that movie was insanely good and really fun, and I could not yeah. get enough of it. <laughs> like I was yeah, loving way more a fun lot than of that. Had movie. any right to be, frankly, you know, and. Uh, uh, what's his name? Just completely scenery chewing his way through the whole thing. I absolutely loved mm-hmm. it. So yeah. I, you know, I don't know. On the basis of that, so I went from looking at the Godzilla movie as being something that was earnestly cool, trying to be cool, and then I saw Skull Island. I thought, oh, they're going camp and they're doing it in a sort of a modern way, and I like it. So now when you see this new one, you're like, you know what? They present it like it's serious. It doesn't have, it doesn't have. Uh, uh, what's his name? What's his name? What's his name? John C. Riley. Yeah, John C. Riley. It doesn't have a John C. Riley type comic relief component to it, or you know, like what we had with uh, with with Pacific Rim. You know, it's right. tr- it's being presented very seriously, but it's obviously ludicrous, right? The giant moth and you know, like just right these, char- yeah. these creatures that are terrible. To, I mean, they're terrible modern designs, right? They go back to mm-hmm. a time in Japanese creature design that makes no sense whatsoever proportionally they don't make sense they're just goofy looking but it's so cool the way they're just taking it in and just going full tilt and saying you know what (laughs) we'll just we'll just crank everything to 11 yeah we'll start at 11 and go to 15 real quick (laughs) that's kind of a Kavanaugh thing but anyway so I yeah listen I'm I'm 100% on board for that King of the Monsters I will go in the theater and see it and bring a flask I think it'll be great uh item Scott Derrickson quietly was confirmed as doing a Doctor Strange sequel, and I thought this was interesting for three reasons. I have no idea who that is. Scott Derrickson directed the first Doctor Strange movie, and I actually listened to a two-hour and change podcast with him about the the development of that movie. It was very interesting. He's kind of a far-out dude. Um, (laughs) 
And so I thought this was interesting for three reasons. One, obviously, the the fallacy is that everyone's dead. <laughs> right. <laughs> Avengers world, you know. Uh, two, uh, Derrickson lost his home in the fires here in California. So he lost everything. Okay. He managed to, to rescue the Eye of Amagato. Agamotto? Eye of Agamotto. <laughs> but he... Um, which he had the prop at his house, and he ma- he managed to rescue that. But I mean, he lost his whole his home and his personal produce, production studio and everything. So, um, hmm. but 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 also three. It's interesting. I like when Marvel takes returns to the same creator for another one, um, as opposed to just throwing that same property at someone new. Um, it shows some trust and commitment, and I and I like that. At a time when yeah, we're making definitely. terrible, cho- Disney's pushing terrible choices in other directions, like with James Gunn. Yeah, this was interesting because, you know, Doctor Strange was not a home run for them, but it was. It definitely had a voice and an and, a, and an opinion, and I think it's right. interesting that they will double down on that. Yeah, um, no, so, I agree. Uh, another item is that uh, we are being constantly teased with the perspective of. Uh, Spider-Man Far From Home trailers coming out and while we still don't have it because apparently they were going to release it and then they decided to distance themselves from Avengers because it was so powerful and they thought they would give it some breathing room um, mm-hmm. we were already supposed to have this this uh, Spider-Man trailer but uh, what they did show was him in a stealth suit of some kind and uh, it almost looks like that Spider-Man noir suit I mean it's very simple but it's right up my alley. Yeah, it's, it's very tactical looking. It looks very reasonable. I like it. Um, they have not shown any actual Mysterio, if it is truly going to be Mysterio. They haven't shown that. If, uh, oh, no, we know it is. We've seen it. That yeah, we know street it's footage, Mysterio. But they haven't yeah, shown man. any production work of it. Um, right. I'm super into that. I really want to see how they're going to rationalize this movie in the context of everybody's dead, and supposedly, and all that. Um, but also, I just, you know, I want to see more of that that movie. I liked it. Yeah, I liked the last yeah. one, and I want to see these characters continue. So I am stoked about it. Um, and related to that, uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse is getting amazing, Rave. amazing yeah. reviews. Yeah, shockingly, shockingly good. We, we we talked about this the last session. I was not the target market for this initially, and I was a little skeptical. It looked like a kitchen sink kind of thing, and... I've really come around, <laughs> so now I'm now I'm looking forward to it. I'm trying to figure out if it's if I can if it's appropriate for me to take my seven and nine year olds to it because I I really want to get on this thing. Um, yeah. So I'm pleased with it. I'm pleased that that project is successful and that it's gonna it's it's gonna have spinoffs for Silk and Spider Gwen and these other characters too. I mean that's good for us. And I, I think the design and animation in it look really, really interesting. Yes, yes, it does. It took me a long time to adapt to the uh, animation style in the same way that, uh, you know, I've been watching Clone Wars a lot, and it took me a long time to get used to that. And now yeah. now I appreciate it. But Another quick item is that uh, they have confirmed almost all of the primary players in the James Bond franchise are coming back for Bond 25. After oh, after quite a while, there it seemed like no one was coming back, <laughs> and it was right. this whole different thing. And then once uh, once that creative team fell apart, which was a little pie in the sky anyway, um, these car- people started falling into place. There's rumors that um, uh, Malik, what is his name, Malik from uh, I, from Robot, and uh, and uh, and Queen, 
he might be the bad guy. So we'll see. He's got a bug-eyed face. He, he might be... I don't know. Seems a little small. bug-eyes against him, yo. I mean, I guess, you know, we, we, we just came off of a, of a movie where the big bad was a small guy. But, I mean, he's a really small guy compared to... <laughs> compared to Bond right now, who's just completely ripped, right? I mean, I don't know. Anyway, maybe they won't be trading blows. Maybe he'll be a Krav Maga expert. I don't know. Um... And uh, anyway, I you know, most of Bond's major villains aren't really fighters. That's true. Well, sometimes they are, though. <laughs> like who? Uh, well, in tiny little dudes. Uh, what about the guy with the whip? What about the guy, the guy with, with the whip? The what one about in the end guy? Shot? What about the what about the the woman with the meat grinder? Oh, I'm thinking of Kingsman. Aren't I? <laughs> I'm kidding with you. How dare you, sir? I'm kidding with you. Um. Uh, and then uh, the only other thing, I mean, I, there's a number of other things we'll probably talk about another time, but there's one other thing, which was that, uh, you know, this whole deal, this 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 messy divorce with uh, Marvel and Netflix, man, it's dragging, it's really a drag. Yeah, it's <laughs> ugly. You know, like uh, so when we had last talked, uh, Blake and I, I mean, we were, we had heard about the initial cancellations of Iron Fist and Luke Cage, and then daredevil right away right at the time we were recording and now i mean it's almost it's almost absolutely certain that punisher is going to get axed of course and then finally that's going to only leave jessica jones which of course will be axed right after that i mean yeah obvious jones is still on the air as much as i love it it's yeah well but they already had it in the can right right punisher and jessica jones were done so the thing about this is i totally understand the business side of it i understand why Netflix would want to kill them off, and I understand why Disney would want them to kill them off. The problem mm-hmm. is threefold. One, they have confirmed it's not going to be... There'll be no R-rated content on Disney+. Plus, Which is at, ludicrous. Well, at least that's what they're saying now, and maybe they'll put a team right. on or something, but that's what they're saying. And two, I... It, but again, to be fair, I don't think that the brutality of the Netflix shows is what was their strength. I think it was the casting and the stories. And when it was good, I think it was really good for a lot of reasons other than how many bone fragments are flying out of people's faces. I think you could do... Right. There's definitely some argument that you can't do a um, PG Punisher, maybe. But I think... Punisher, Jessica Jones. I mean, I haven't seen yeah. the second season, but that first season, there's no way that's appro- that's Disney approved. Sure. But I'm saying, if you think about going forward, if they wanted to... Could they make a successful version of some of those without them being too graphic in their violence and sex yes i think they could and even daredevil which i still particularly after this last series um was it was a high note like it was amazing but i didn't i loved where they went with it but i didn't need every spinal crush you know it could have been just as effective and shown a little less and it still would have worked but the problem is that they apparently have a contract point which is that disney cannot reuse the characters for two years after Hmm. netflix releases them really you know we're living in an era when shows come back after multiple years even old shows come back so never say never but uh it is hard to imagine a lot of the netflix marvel cast being retained for a project that couldn't come out for at least three and a half more years. You know what I mean? Right. Like, I just... Right. Some of these guys would come back just out of their passion for those projects, and we are seeing, like... (laughs) I mean, uh, Deadwood is... The Deadwood film is happening despite 
every possible way that you would rationally yeah, think right. it wouldn't happen. Um, and they all have a lot to do. So I, you know, it's possible, but, uh, I don't know. It's just, I, hope... yeah, I think it's, they're dead. Yeah. They are absolutely dead. There's yeah, no the hope, way. People were holding out hope that they were just going to roll right in because Netflix, the one thing they did differently about daredevil than the others is they said, daredevil will continue on in other stories. And that gave people this hope that somehow it was just going to be folded in. Um, that's not the case. So, I don't know. It's just a bummer. I think it's a bummer, especially because Daredevil... If Daredevil had been shitty, you haven't seen it, right? I haven't seen the second season, no. And you haven't seen the third? Or the third season, I mean. Okay. I've seen the second. But <clears> okay, well, spoiler alert, the third season's great. And if the third season, season uh, had been... Ah, you ruined it for me. Yeah. If the third season had been terrible, or if the, uh, frankly, even... Luke Cage and Iron Fist. You know, Iron Fist was much better second season than it was first, but both of those, when they ended, and then they announced cancellations, my mind was like, okay, you know, maybe they didn't. Yeah. That, that's fine. But Daredevil is, is coming out on top, and that's really frustrating. Right. I, I finished Daredevil and immediately was frustrated that there wasn't more Daredevil, so that's that's not great. Um, but anyway, so we were going to talk about 2018 as a whole, and, uh, we were going to do a thing that we sometimes do and pick three things that we, we thought were notable in 2018 or three, you know, entertainment-y things that we liked. Um, are you prepared? I'm vaguely prepared. Are you ready? I think we should have gone over the news items beforehand so that we weren't talking about items that may or may not have been on somebody's list, but nonsense it's not directly related in any way and if there's overlap it just proves your point you've ruined everything so tell me give me give me uh do you want to give all three at once or do you want to go one at a time what do you want to do let's do one at a time all right you start three favorite are we talking about 2018 that we liked or what we're looking okay so 2018 was hard as crap for me agreed i think i've decided that 2018 didn't have as much good stuff as i thought it did Or I haven't seen it yet. Well, that's more likely. (laughs) I don't know, maybe. Because I kept thinking of things that I was like, oh, I like that, and then realized it didn't come out in 2018. I had that experience. I was convinced the one Ragnarok came out. It was going to be on my list. Yeah. Yeah. That came out in December. (laughs) Same thing with uh, Thor Ragnarok and Jumanji, both for me, I thought were 2018. Yeah. Yeah. And like for me, the Marvel movies were underwhelming. Hmm. Like, I liked Ant-Man and the Wasp, I liked the Avengers, I liked Black Panther, but I didn't love any of them. Right, 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 right. Um, And then there's stuff I haven't seen that would probably be on my list. Like, I haven't seen the new Spider-Man, I haven't seen uh, Bad Times at the El Royale, I haven't seen Suspiria. Yeah. Like, I have this whole list of stuff that I want to watch that I haven't seen yet. Suspiria is so up your alley, I can't even... It's it's nowhere here. It, the the closest place it showed was 350 miles away. I saw Devin in his road trip to see it. That's right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, and like TV, I haven't seen season two of Legion. I haven't seen season three of Daredevil. I, yeah. I haven't watched Sabrina. I haven't watched The yeah. Terror. Yeah, I feel neither. like Westworld was kind of underwhelming this year. The um, it's funny. There's a my like you're alluding to my. My research reminded me that my my to do list is ever long, ever longer, and has a lot of 2018 right? in it that I didn't get to, um, and it's just waiting for me. But uh, but but there's a but there's a um, there's a caveat to that. But uh, you tell me your uh, tell me your first one, and then uh... okay. So this is gonna be a controversial pick, but I'm going solo. All right, 
Uh, tell because me about. Because I really like that movie. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I really it was, did too. Thought, thought it was fun. I thought the special effects were great. I thought that friggin' Lando's the best. <laughs> yeah. So Solo's my number one. Ah, that's interesting. And you know, when we started to talk about it, we thought that, or I thought it was going to be you and beginning again Blake against me, uh, with me having the correct opinion. But in terms, it ter- turned out to be that you and I were on the same page, and Blake was out. <laughs> but, yeah, so I, I don't understand why Blake didn't like it, honestly, because I thought it was really. I think too many people went into it with unrealistic expectations of what it was, kind of thing. Well, when you go in with your and that's not always, um, it doesn't always backfire, but certainly when you go in with a preconceived notion about how something should be, and it's not that, your confirmation bias is all screwed up. And then you're, yeah, absolutely. you're now you're convinced it's garbage, right? I, I went into Blade Runner uh, with, with the feeling that it was, um, that it was going to, it, it had to be, it had to be a certain thing in my mind. This is what I wanted it to, to look like based on my love of the original movie. And, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, for me, it, it achieved things that I wanted it to do, but a lot of people had a different perspective about what they expected it to do. And then they were really frustrated that it wasn't that it was what I wanted right. it to be. And so I loved it. It's another movie I thought was 2018, by the way, <laughs> um, it was right <laughs> on my list. That, I was like, that, that was, that was 2017, right? Yeah. 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 I mean, it was, I, my list is a bunch of cross-offs, you know? But um, but but I think that uh, the solos big. We talked about it before. Its biggest uh, hurdle was that um, the prequels cast um, Ewan McGregor as a um, you know doing an impression of Sir Sir Alec Guinness, and mm-hmm. that created the the expectation that prequels had to be mimicry, and yeah. as much mannerism, as much subtle mannerism, and and character nods and things and even fan service that they threw in to make you feel like this was a young version of Solo. Um, people couldn't get around the fact that he didn't look and particularly sound like Harrison Ford. Yeah. And that frustrates me because I've got so much room in my heart for different, like, throw all the roadies at me you want, <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. So, yeah, and, yeah and absolutely. It, it, it's, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of baggage. It's Harrison Ford as Solo is a really big, that's a big thing to replace. But they did it with James yeah. Bond. They should be able to do it with Solo, right? Yeah. Sean Connery. Yeah. And, yeah. You no, know, I think honestly, it's just this dirty, stupid Star Wars fanboy nonsense that's happening these days, too. I think it's more than just Star Wars, man. I think it's the it's the same thing we talked about with that weird vitriol with the DC fans versus Marvel fans, yeah, and how the DC too. fans were. You know, all that misinformation and all the thing about trying to tank opening weekends for each other and all that other shit. It's like... Yeah, it's such nonsense. We should all like all of this stuff if it's good. And if it's not good, we should be right. critical. <clears throat> it shouldn't be about teams and tribes and stuff. And that's what, unfortunately, we are. I agree with you on Solo. I think it's a great choice. Um, uh, so, okay. ah, boy, oh boy, though. I'll tell you, um, my first choice is Annihilation. Mm, that was on my short list. Um, I, you know, just thinking about, I mean, there are movies, it doesn't hurt when, um, it doesn't hurt when the soundtrack is something I play all the time, like Blade Runner, <laughs> like a rival, you know, um, but Annihilation is one of those movies where I didn't know what, I didn't know what to expect going in, even though I knew I liked the people in it and who were creating it. Right. Um, uh, 
but and I'm not always the target market for body horror, but I am the target market for blow out your mind sci-fi stuff. But mm-hmm. holy shit, did uh, was my mind blown by that movie, and it hung with me for days and days and days, and I still listen to the soundtrack and dwell about things in that movie. See, and I, th- I think we are still on opposite ends of the ending on it. Uh huh. I did not love it. Right. I didn't. But I did not love it either. But um... enough amazing stuff happened in it that I did love. That it was. It's definitely something I need to pick up. Did you? Um. And... Did, did you catch up on our our uh, on our annihilation episode that you weren't in? No, I haven't yet oh. because you guys talked about something else I haven't seen, but I don't remember what it was yet. Oh, I see. So um, statistically, very likely. So um, <laughs> uh, uh, beginning again, Blake Simmons came at it from the perspective of having read all the books, and ah. uh, his his perspective on just how mind blowing the books are. It reminds me of us talking about Expanse and how different the show is from the books. It's very similar in the sense that the show or the live action version is actually incredible, but the books are another level and you have to decide where you want to put your brain, what jar you want to put your brain in. Right. Right. So, you know, his perspective on, especially given that it's not likely to have another sequel based on how it did, um, you know, his perspective on their choices, particularly with the ending is that it was incredibly subdued from where it should have been. Because okay. in, in the in the book, it's just batshit crazy. Um, I, I still think it was. I think it was a successful ending. Although I appreciate, the, I think I appreciate criticism about it. Um, but uh, you, another thing, although, and we we talked about this on on that show, is that um, uh, Alex Garland said that he prepared that film based on his memory or his 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 vibe about the book after having read the book, but not as an adaptation. So that's always an interesting place for a creator to say, you know, it's like, I'm going to give it that Barton Fink feeling, right? (laughs) It's like, Mm -hmm. it's almost the annihilation story, but it's not. And it gives them freedom. It gives them freedom. But at the same time, it opens it up to some questions about, well, did you think that that was a better choice than what was written? And uh, I don't know. That's an interesting debate, I think. Yeah. Um, What about you? You want to go for your number two? What's your number two? Uh, my number two is. Who does number two work for? This is this is a a little bit of an off the wall choice, but honestly, this was probably the movie I was most charmed by and unexpectedly enjoyed the entire year, and that is Christopher Robin. Well, that's interesting. You uh, you came out of left field on that one for the. Oh uh, no! Context- I didn't. The contextual didn't nature it, of our show is not what you would expect. Mm-hmm. But, um. Yeah. You know what? It's it was pretty damn good. I really enjoyed it. I think the Winnie the Pooh in it was just absolutely adorable. I think uh, Ewan McGregor did a great job, and I just I think that the effects on the the on the assorted toys were just fantastic. Uh, so I misspoke. I actually haven't seen Crystal Robin. I'm waiting for my family. I didn't or think you had. At least my wife. I have it ready to go, but we haven't actually watched it. However, uh, I was thinking that you were talking about. Uh, what is that? Um, the Peter Rabbit, which was better than oh, I thought. I have it. no interest in that. Honestly. Well, but it was better than I thought it was going to be. Although it was also brutal at the beginning. His dad was made into a pie, and it's. Oh my! I was in a theater full of children screaming. So, you know, um, it, in a sense, it also had that Barton Fink feeling. <laughs> but 
Um, yeah, no kidding. But uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to Christopher Robin. But let me ask you this: What do you think is the appropriate age group for seeing that movie? Because I'm not positive. Sorry about all that. Oh, it's it's action. definitely kid friendly. Is it? Yeah, there were like four or five year olds in the movie theater that were just entranced by the movie. I thought so. One of these films that came out was really uh, sort of brooding and and depressing, and then one of them was supposed to be kind of optimistic. Well, was... this this movie is about Christopher Robin as an adult, right, right? And he has forgotten to how to find joy in life and how to be uh, creative and have fun. And basically, Winnie the Pooh and all of his childhood friends come back and bring him back to learning how to be a, a, a joy-filled adult and play with his kid and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So it's it's definitely got a, a family-friendly lesson to yeah. it. Yeah. Huh. Um, but yeah, it's it's definitely kid-friendly. Okay. I, I don't think your kids would have any problems with it at all. Okay, that's good. That's good. Because I've got... You know, I've pulled some some projects that I thought were going to be, you know, because they were nominally about classic stories and thought, oh, this is one I'll, you know, I'll watch with the kids on a Friday night movie night. And then I start to look at the, like, I hate these, this website, these common sense media site where they review projects and like, well, they curse three times and they Uh-oh. smoked a cigarette and it's, it's blasphemy. But I do use them as a benchmark for what the kind of, you know, if the outraged person is outraged, what are they outraged about, right? It's right. it's a good it's a good benchmark so you could ratchet it back to a, a sane level and then you're like well that's what that is right <laughs> and uh, you know just I don't know so a lot of the stuff that I've I've stockpiled I'm like well we're gonna wait on that <laughs> yeah it's like I, Suspiria <laughs> I have a hard time with it because as a kid when I was a kid like like the cartoons were I'd be, uh, definitely not something that a lot of parents these days would show their kids right and. So it, it is. It's a hard balance these days, especially. It's funny that you mentioned that. My kids are really excited about the Lion King live action adaptation. I don't know if you call it live action when it's all yeah. hyper hyper realistic CGI, but they saw the Jungle Book and liked it. Um, they're really into the Lion King, but what they're kind of forgetting is that they've spent the last several years watching Lion King spinoffs, which are all really family friendly, and they're maybe right. not remembering that they were bawling on the floor when the dad uh not only which what was the dad's name is it simba or is that the kid mufasa. i don't know mufasa. mufasa okay mufasa so when he's i mean he not only dies but he's betrayed and he's not only betrayed but he has that horrible like scramble to try to stay above before he gets trampled right. it's just it that it, you and don't having have to... that in even more realistic form sounds great <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's going to be that yeah i don't know man <laughs> those those movies have created a whole new uncanny valley haven't they Yes, they um, have. it is really strange for all the incredible work that they did on like the Planet of the Apes stuff. It's amazing to see how the ultra literal, hyper realistic stuff they're doing in these adaptations is creepy. Yeah, um, it's creepy to me because it also just, in a lot of ways, just reads like it, what's on the label is in the tin. Like you actually kind of accept that it's talking and. And then it doesn't, there's more to it than just talking, right? Like, yeah. Like, I expect, like, the, the animation is powerful because of mannerism and gesture and all the stuff that's implied, not just the voice acting and the beautiful art. Right. These are like, they've, got, they've dialed in the lip mapping and the rotoscoping of the, 
of the ping pong balls and everything. And so it's also perfect, but yet it doesn't have the, the, the um, artistic flourish that gives it soul. I think maybe right. that's what I'm thinking. So I don't know. I'm a mixed, I have a mixed feeling about it. I'll see, I'll see it, but eh. that's how I felt about the jungle book. I was impressed by things, but it was like the giant, uh, gorilla, for example, I was really impressed by them, yeah. but, um, not, not, I was, the verisimilitude was not there for me. Yeah, I think that's that's a good way of putting it. I I like the idea of them. Like, I think Dumbo might actually be my favorite of them once I've seen them all. I think you're right. I think you're right. The exaggeration of it and yes, the, yes. the type of world that it creates. You know, he's, I mean, Tim Burton is real hit or miss for me. But uh, mm-hmm. I like, I see, I, with the exception of some circus torture implications, which I'm not a fan of. Uh, I'm seeing a whole lot of imagery that is the kind of stuff I really want to see in old timey projects, right? right. Gosh, it looks right. amazing. Yeah, so, I think it uh, looks great. <clears throat> and I think they they made an interesting choice having Dumbo not talk. Yes, from the appearances, anyway. Yes, yes, yes. I agree. I agree. Um, so, okay. So then, my second one is. Okay, so this is an interesting one for me. I I, I debated because I liked a lot of projects, but I didn't just pick all the projects <laughs> that I liked because I'm the, I'm the I'm the house op- optimist, right? I'm like I'll find something mm-hmm. I like. But you know, it, there were a number of projects that I was really jazzed about. I mean, I I also didn't fall out of my my seat on Avengers because it was broadcast so much that it you know there was no surprise. the The detail of the surprise may have the detail of the deaths might have been. A surprise, but the general tone of that movie was—I think it was an incredibly uh, visceral and comprehensive thing. It was—it was daunting the level mm-hmm. of work they put into it and what they managed to do well. And they succeeded in so many ways. As Justice League, for example, completely collapsed under even a fraction of that burden. But right. we knew going in what it was going to be, and it was that. <laughs> and so it didn't have surprise. Whereas even something like Ant Man and Wasp had some surprise to it, which I appreciated. But uh, right. but I think my second choice is, um, I chose it because it's a film franchise and even a sequel that I never expected to like. I didn't expect to like the first one, and I really didn't expect to be in, on board for the second one. And I love the first one, and I think I love the second one even more, and that's Deadpool 2. <laughs> I still haven't seen that. Oh, okay. Well, I won't go into I won't go into any yeah. detail for you, so that we yeah, can it's talk. it's very high on my list. But it's something that Lindsay didn't expect to like, and she loved it, uh-huh. and she really wants to see the second one. And finding time for both of us to sit down and watch it has just been yeah, yeah, yeah. Out well, of the question. Lately. I I think you need to make sure to see the original Deadpool two before you don't you know don't don't see the remix that they just came out with as creative, yeah as creative yeah, as that is, but. Um, I don't. I won't say anything about it, and you haven't listened to the um, our previous session with Blake. But I will say that it managed to find its way around the um, sequel slump of how do you mm. top something that was very good the first time, and particularly something that was a surprise in its uh, sort of hundred percent all in earnestness. In that first one, it's like how I, I just could not think that they were going to be able to make it interesting without just feeling like a retread. Um, yeah. And part of me was thinking, well, if it's just more of the same, who cares? It will still be funny. But I didn't really have that experience with Deadpool 1 either. Like I didn't, I wasn't sitting in Deadpool saying, hey, I want this to go for five hours. 
Like I liked right. it for what it was, and then I was done, and I wanted it to be an encapsulated thing. Um, the idea that they would just kind of do more of the same kind of that didn't ins- inspire me particularly, and I was concerned. Even like Thor Ragnarok initially felt that way for me that I, I came out of there going, well, that was hilarious. I was dying, but if I see it again, will I be bored? Well, will will it not not be as fun if I if I know all the jokes and I'm not surprised anymore? And Ragnarok right. is as good every time you watch it. It doesn't change. <laughs> um, that is accurate. Yeah, yes. and, and I haven't seen Deadpool more than once. So I don't know if that's true. But I do know that Deadpool 2 not only maintained my interest throughout, but it had some genuine surprises in what they chose to do and some really um, uh, charismatic standout uh, characters and things. And, and it was just a delight. So, um, yes. you know, uh, surprise Deadpool 2 for me. <laughs> <laughs> it's close to me saying Venom, you know, like it's not Deadpool is right up there with Venom as a kind of character that I'm not supposed to like. Throw Spawn in there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know? <laughs> I am not supposed to like it. I never thought I would like it. Yeah. And I never thought I even would ever have interest in liking it even. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so now I'm yeah. like, oh God, that's my big regret is that I haven't seen Deadpool too. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you get a bad blood infection or something, you'll be forced to sit there and watch it. So yeah, there's yeah, always really. that. Okay, what's your number three? Uh, my number three—I don't remember now. Hold okay. on. <laughs> oh, um, so this was a hard one for me to pick um, because I've seen a few horror movies that I've just legitimately enjoyed, yep. uh, but there's one on Netflix right now that I oh. found to be an absolute surprise: Haunting of Hill uh, House. What's that? And no, that that's a good movie, but it's not something I have any impetus to watch again. Ah, okay. Um, and it's more of a TV show. It's a little oh, okay. long. It's a it's it's not really a horror movie. Uh-huh. It's more of like a gothic drama. Uh huh. Okay. Um, it's definitely like a pure like ghost story, which is nice. You don't see a lot of those. Yeah. Um, but I really debated back and forth. Like I really enjoyed A Quiet Place. I thought it was good. Uh huh. Um, a Bad Batch, um, which is a Jason Momoa horror movie, is really good. Uh-huh. But The Ritual, oh, interesting, is excellent. It uh-huh. is just about some dudes lost in the woods with some creepy crap going on, and it's one of my favorite movies I saw this year. Wow, interesting. Okay, uh, I read about it and I read good things about it, but not being a horror guy, I was not that. I wasn't planning on seeing it, but then again, some of these projects, I, I sit on it, and then I hear enough about it that I'm like, oh, now I wish I had seen it before I heard too much. <laughs> like the, uh, <laughs> what is it, the room in the, the cabin in the woods, I've heard, I've seen too many spoilers oh, yeah. about that, so that I could never have the pure experience of, <laughs> that you had seeing that movie, but I know I will eventually see it, but anyway. So, okay, yeah, I think you would like it, Okay, but I, I really enjoyed that movie, I would, far more than I expected to. Interesting, okay. Well, my, my my third was a neck-and-neck um, tie on two TV shows. Um, and I'm going to pick the one, but I'll tell you what the other one was. Okay, so... Okay. I mean, there were three TV shows that just killed me this year that I could think... I mean, there were many really good TV shows, and some of which... Well, many of which <laughs> we still have on our to-do lists, right? I yeah, mean, exactly. I, I haven't even broken into some of the content that it, that we started i saw one episode and didn't finish but um or like i didn't even get to uh um 
I didn't get to the second season of Legion, for example, and it just drives me nuts. But anyway. yeah, I'm that's one of my greatest shames of this this year because I absolutely adored the first season. Yeah, yeah. and haven't seen a single episode of the second season. Well, and so and then one of one of my three I'm going to save because it's in my 2018. But um, I narrowed the other two down to uh, Daredevil and Westworld. Now you felt that Westworld was uneven, and I understand it was. Um, I mean, it was still fun, but it was on. I felt like but, it was on. Um, and, and and I mentioned earlier that there was a caveat about the to do list, and and this is really bothersome to me. And this is the exact exactly the fear I had about streaming services and their <clears throat> their promise for the infinite library that actually moves around and is not so um, transparent. Uh, it bit me directly in the ass this year. I tried last month to catch up on Preacher and AMC, which is the uh. worst. AMC is the worst of the online streaming services because it is absolutely without question. It's very, it's got even more ads than CBS all access and it has more, (laughs) uh, and it has more, um, mysterious, uh, omissions in its content delivery. So I go to try to see the new or the, the third season of preacher. Blake was really excited about it. I was obviously the target market for it and it has, and I pay for, like, I actually don't even have the free version of AMC. I paid for it for this, okay? Right. And so I'm, I'm a paid customer, <laughs> and I get extras are available for season three. That's such bullshit. But uh, the episodes are gone. The episodes are gone. So that means I have to wait around for it to resurface on, like, Prime or something, or some right. other avenue. And it drives me fucking nuts, because what the hell? I'm not only... <laughs> A cable subscriber, but I'm a premium subscriber for that channel, and they've blown it. So yeah, it, it's absolutely ass. And I like uh, we watch um, American Horror Story, and yeah. it's on AMC. And we have to like if you're more than like three or four days late, you're screwed, man. You can't watch it. Yeah. Well, it's just and, absolutely ridiculous. And um, Sci-Fi was playing fast and loose with that same concept um, last year. It was very frustrating for me that shows that I was interested in would be two or three or four days behind its broadcast release with no rhyme or reason to it um, as they battled their contractual obligations. And it's just, it's really bad for us and it's bad for the longevity of their services when they do that. AMC give no shit, but unfortunately when their walking dead train runs out, Mm -hmm. that's not going to fly. So that really frustrates me. But anyway, I had to choose. Yeah, it does look like uh, the cheapest place to watch Preacher right now is you can buy the digital HD downloads on Vudu for ten bucks for that season. For the whole season, on Vudu, the whole season. Yeah. Oh, okay. I'll do that. Uh, It's twenty bucks on Apple, but Vudu's ten right now. Interesting. Okay. I'm I'm not familiar with Vudu. Um, that's typically like like when I uh, get the the digital download codes with my Blu-ray. That's where they show up. Oh, interesting. Okay. So can you, do you have to access it through like your monitor or can you get it through? No, I, I use my Roku. I oh, assume okay. it's on Apple TV too. I'll check it out. I'll check it out. Yeah. Well, so I had to choose between uh, Daredevil and Westworld and uh, ultimately I chose Daredevil and I can't okay. go into detail because you haven't seen it. Uh, <laughs> although that's another episode waiting for you because <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, Blake really. and I went ape shit about it, but um Reason... I'm excited about it. It's yeah. it's very high on my list. It's just it's one of those things that I've been so busy that I knew I wouldn't yeah. be able to fully immerse myself in it. 
the reason I chose it is that it was um, it's an emotional response, but Daredevil is a phoenix from the ashes for a property that started strong and then stumbled and then came back even stronger. And that's coming from someone who really enjoyed both halves of De- of Daredevil season two. <laughs> like I really like the Punisher arc, and I really like the the uh, the arc with uh, with with Elektra. Um, right. I just wanted each of them to be a standalone season and have a little bit more um, finality or more uh, you know more more stakes to them. But the fact that they they hammered both of those into the same season gave it the flavor of those movies that where they like double and triple down on the villains like those Batman movies right where they just right. keep adding and adding and adding instead of really focusing on one and making it or make a lesser and a greater right mm-hmm. um Daredevil season 2 just felt like they were throwing a lot of different things at it to see what stuck and even as Punisher was a backdoor pilot <clears throat> you know I you know I I wanted I wanted 10% more of each of those halves and they would have been standalone seasons for me but yeah, Daredevil was a success when I expected it not to be, and that's because I am not, as an atheist, <laughs> I am not, um, and a former Catholic, you know, uh, I am not super into a lot of the hardcore Catholic imagery that is in long runs of the classic Daredevil comics. I appreciate, yeah, I, get that. I appreciate it as a thematic element. I think it's a powerful statement in his own struggle and his imagery and it's absolutely part of his character and i think it should happen in the story i just was not so sure i was interested in watching him um screwing around with his worry beads and living under a church and and dwelling about his 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 relationship with with god and his place in the world just because that's not what i wanted right? right but i but i felt like it needed to happen so i was willing to accept that um but this but the there even that aspect of the season was good and the rest of it is just it just kicks my ass when i watch i loved it so my emotional response coming off of daredevil season three was like holy shit what i was i did i love the character creation of these new characters in that in that season and the way they continued to flesh out characters that we already knew in different ways and how they gave his arc in the story meaning and and um and wait uh i just thought it was a great encapsulated season it's better having seen the first two like i don't think i would say you know hey new new viewer go straight to daredevil 3 which is the way some people are about certain projects right right i'll just go straight to this i i I do think it was it's the build-up of things that happened before that led to it See, and that's actually one reason I haven't seen it yet is I really need to rewatch two because it's been long enough that I remember liking it, but I don't remember a lot of like little aspects that I feel like would be yeah. enriched if I took the time to watch it again. And I do think that that does enrich, um, particularly from how he is and what he mm-hmm. struggles with, but it's much more directly. We talked about this in our other um, session. Uh, it actually has almost nothing to do with season two. It's actually linked to Defenders. Okay. So Which I paid no attention to when I watched. <laughs> I understand. I understand. But um, it directly follows the last episode of the Defenders. Like it's okay. it, it's like immediately thereafter. Do you know what I mean? Interesting. So anyway, um, I chose this over Westworld because I thought Westworld had an extremely 
difficult. It's like the Deadpool thing. It had an extremely difficult challenge at trying to top an absolutely mind-blowing first season. Right. And the problem is that Westworld is a project that is constantly on the... It's teetering on the edge of running out of places to go. Mm-hmm. It's the House of Cards phenomenon, as I described it to someone a long time ago. House of Cards <laughs> started... House of Cards first season was amazing. And then it ends in a really shocking way. And then mm-hmm. the first episode of the second season just blows you away. Like, what the hell did I just see? But then there's nowhere to go. Because they basically mm-hmm. went straight to the bottom. And so now, you know, once you've made those moves, there's nothing that will shock you anymore. And then you right. fold right into the real world feeling as shocking as the show was trying to be. And then there's nothing there. So I felt like Westworld struggled with that. They... They made so many interesting moves and they made such a strong statement for the world they were building and such cool last minute reveals at the end of season one. And then when they step into season two, you're like, well, wait a minute. So how long can we stay in the park (laughs) and how long is this going to be interesting if we know the little that we do know about the what's behind the curtain? How, how, How are we ever going to... Are we are we going to be sustained by in a lot? Is it going to be? It felt like loss too. Like, are we going to be satisfied? Are they just going to be doing a bunch of showing us what's happening behind the curtain now and less of the world? And that's not that's not going to be satisfying either because we're going to lose lose our narrative focus. But the fact that they chose to do a a very interesting time jump combined with an extremely interesting unreliable narrator made that season very interesting to me. Yeah. The problem and what led me to feel like maybe it was less satisfying in the end, looking back on it, than Daredevil is that Daredevil ends in a way that you feel like, holy shit. It's like, you know, those comic runs where a creator, a creative team ends their run and they've mm-hmm. done this whole thing and they beat the shit out of the character. And then at the very end, they're sort of, they've come through the crucible and they're like, Wah! and they have a splash page where they're leaping off a building and that's the end of the story but it's also the end of their whole arc and their whole creative run and right. then it feels like it's a, it's a handoff to another story like they've they've left it in that place um daredevil season three has that vibe that it is a self-contained story and there's a lot of future threads of things that could be talked about but it felt like it ended in a way that said daredevil's back and it's fucking better than ever whereas hmm. westworld ended in a way that was like we 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 pulled the curtain back and it's like eternity from Marvel. Like what the fuck is that? And then it ended, and so now you're like, wait, you've just you moved the pieces around so much that anything can happen in the next season. But I also, I'm even farther removed from the idea that this can be sustained as a Wild West Park story. So right. I just, so I don't know. I'm excited about the next West World. I loved the production of it, and I really love that that show a ton. But the the takeaway feeling, you know, the week later or the month later look back on it is thinking about individual moments in the season and the vibe of the season, but not so much like, well, hey, how it ended was this, and this is what's exciting about it. Daredevil being canceled <clears throat> at the end of the season was a blow because it had so much potential to move forward. If they were to cancel Westworld now, I would be disappointed, terribly disappointed. But I also would be like, well, I can see executives going, well, I don't know. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> what, what even is this property that we own, you know? Yeah. So, I don't know. Okay. 
So that was our 2018. So let's just roll right into our three hopeful entertainment somethings for 2019. Yeah. we've got a lot to look forward to. Why don't you start this one off again, or do you want me to do it? Yeah, I can start it off. Start uh, so <laughs> this was a lot harder to narrow down because there's a lot of stuff I'm excited about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's like my my list is like eighty percent just superhero movies. <laughs> really? Uh, but we've already talked about Godzilla a little bit, so I'll yeah. just drop it for now. But I am excited yeah. about that. Okay. Um, if it's on your threes, leave it on your three, man. Don't you know? I don't want to anymore. All right, you already fine. ruined it. Okay. Okay. So instead, I am going to put the Hellboy uh-huh. movie. Okay. And board game. Hellboy movie and board game. Because I pre-ordered, I kickstarted the board game uh, months and months and months ago at this point now. Right. <laughs> and it's coming out sometime in 2019. I think I think the projection is like April or something like that. Right. Um, and I am extremely excited about that. What is it about that? I mean, the board game looks amazing and the, and the little figures look great too. But what what is it about it that is unique? Or that you think is unique that makes you particularly excited relative well, to just being a good looking game. I mean the simple fact is is it's you playing Hellboy in a world. And it's got all sorts of different cases. It has literally hundreds of uh miniatures. Oh, it's so amazing how many they've been. It's it's insane and it's it's a little frustrating to this certain extent, just because I will want to paint them so badly. Right. (laughs) I know I'm not going to have time to do that, but that's, and it just looks like a fun, simple game. You sit down, you solve some mysteries, you bash some Nazis. Right. And that's, (laughs) and the, the movie looks fantastic. The trailer's supposed to be out on Thursday. And, I don't know. I think it looks super fun. All right. Well, um, so I agree with you so much so that I will take it off my list. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I betray I you and then it betrays me. I his hair back, but. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, we'll see. We still haven't seen. Am I right? We still haven't seen any actual trailer footage yet. No, not a single piece of footage. Which I like as as a concept, and I hope it's not um, a, a foreboding omen. But um, I I would love we talk about this, about especially on some of these juggernaut projects. We just wish we could just go in totally blind. But yeah, um, yeah that's one that I would love if, to see absolutely nothing about. Think about how they did Stranger Things. Both seasons of Stranger Things, we saw nothing about it until it came out. Which is true. Yeah, I and you're right. Like there's a part of me that really does wish I could just ignore the trailer when it comes out, but I don't think I can. <laughs> I can't either. <laughs> okay. And, and speaking of that, I'm going to, I'm going to sub in, I'm going to sub in, uh, uh, Avengers Endgame uh, for Hellboy. Because, okay. you know, um, Avengers infinity war was almost on my list for 2018, just for the sheer magnitude of it and the, mm-hmm. and the momentum it had. But, yeah. But it got knocked out for other things. And so I think at this stage, I'm much more excited about what Avengers 4 might be than I was to see what Avengers 3 would be. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like we knew we knew that it was going to be bad and then it was going to end with... We assumed it was going to end with everybody dying or a lot of people dying and 
and end in an Empire Strikes Back kind of way in a very downbeat. And it was just right. a matter of seeing which particular moves they used. And so that was that was good. And the, the details were what was fun about how things yeah. failed and where it was a tragic story and so forth. But we know very little about Avengers 4, but we have a lot of theories. Right. And all of our theories, this is what's exciting about it to me. Virtually all our theories are... <clears throat> um, almost all of our theories are are promising. They're all exciting and interesting. Yeah, that's and fair. that's and that's something. I mean, to me, that's op- that's that's the kind of enthusiasm for a project that's coming up um, that I like. It's the yeah. I, I don't see a bunch of ang- angles where it could be good, but mostly they could fuck it up. I see a bunch of angles where this or that or that could be. Is it time travel? Is it multiverse? Is it, you know, manipulation of the stones? I mean, I don't really care even. I just want it yeah. to be, I want it to be a fun, I want it to be a fun slap back at him and I want it to be exciting and I want there to be consequences. So, and I think we're going to get it. Yeah, I think so too. Is that the, the superhero movie you're most excited about? Um, no, it is not. Oh, okay. You go to your next one. Okay. Uh, my next one is... Oof. Trying to decide what that next one is, actually. <laughs> I... We limit ourselves to three and it makes it hard, you know? It does make it hard. Yeah, there's a couple of things that I'm just, like, excited about, but I don't know enough about to know how excited I am. Oh, yes? Um, Honestly, I think I've put Men in Black 4 there. Oh. Huh. Because it looks really, really fun. Well, they went from, with that casting choice, they went from it being a completely unnecessary project to an absolutely necessary project. Absolutely, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, Tessa Thompson and Chris Hemsworth and Aliens. I'm okay with all of this stuff. Yes. (laughs) So, yeah, that's, that's my next one. I don't even know when it's out. Just sometime in 2019. All right. Um... The I will say when I was choosing my first because I kind of have different uh, market segments in my choices in my superhero film segment I had Hellboy even though it's not really superheroes but right and then it ha- and then I had Avengers four tied for that and then right behind that was Captain Marvel okay and so Captain Marvel won't be my second choice. But I will say that Captain Marvel is really close to Avengers 4 in terms of my enthusiasm. And I've told this... I'm, I'm more excited about it than I am Avengers, personally. Well, I told this to uh, Blake last time, and he mocked me about this, but he says it's my, you know, that my personal bias is showing through. And he's right. But I think I was far more excited about Captain Marvel when I saw things, but I hadn't heard things. Okay. I love everything about Captain Marvel. And honestly, I think I'm probably going to like Captain Marvel more than Avengers 4. I just feel like I know more about Captain Marvel than Avengers 4. And that makes Avengers 4 more exciting to me. But I like all, I like scrolls and I like, I like scrolls and I like some of the, my ideas about where Captain Marvel may be going. And if I'm right, I will really like that project. But the thing that kind of set me back a little bit is that I love Brie Larson, but man, she has kind of a high voice. And Gal Gadot has really um, spoiled me in giving me a powerful, a, a really powerful, badass female character that has this sort of a, like a deeper timber and has this really sort of confident, powerful sound. And 
in comparison, Brie Larson's voice in those that trailer is very... Uh, it's not only a, a higher pitch, but it also has this... Um, like a sweet girl trying to sound tough vibe to it. And that may okay. be in the story, but it also may just be how Brie Larson's talking. <laughs> and I don't know. I can't decide. But it's not matching my mental map of Captain Marvel. Okay. Interesting. Now, I mean, there are a lot of characters in the MCU that don't sound or look or anything like I imagined before they started. I mean, <clears throat> Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man is the best example. Yeah. No one imagined that was <laughs> Tony yeah, Stark. Absolutely. And now it's impossible to not hear him as him if you look at a picture of Tony Stark. But I don't know. I just expected her. I mean, even look at Gamora's voice. I mean, mm-hmm. there's all these. There are other. And, and Scarlett Johansson's voice is a. Johansson's voice is a, a deeper pitch. Mm-hmm. So their most powerful female character has a higher pitch and more girly sounding voice than some of these other characters and I just can't ra- I can't marry that in my head and you know what Blake's like fuck you man you're not supposed to it is what it is don't don't bring your baggage in and he's right I just I think that's fair yeah I just can't you know that's just my take it that was the one thing that pushed me back interesting that is not what I would have expected to be your complaint about that I know his his thing was the seemingly unfinished uh uh, fighting effects when she's in full costume and got the helmet on and she's doing a bunch that of does zippity look blasting. Fake. I agree <clears throat> with that. Yeah. But my counter argument was that most of these have bad effects. Um, in, the in Well, not only in the trailer, but that is where the Marvel... <clears throat> well, DC ones too. That's where all of these movies have fallen apart is when you get to that part where you pan back and the CGI figures are all rubbery. Yeah, that's right? true. Um, Hella was rubbery and... Uh, Black Panther fighting himself was rubbery. Oh, God, <laughs> so, that was awful. Yeah. So, yeah. anyway. Um, so, in lieu of that, shifting genres, I will say that I'm really looking forward to Star Wars 9. Okay. And that's because um, I was a real... I, <laughs> so, I've been watching the... I've watched Force Awakens a number of times. I've watched The Last Jedi several times because my son really likes it too. And I think I'm definitely on... That's a controversial movie for a lot of reasons it shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. But I'm definitely on the I'm on the pro-Last Jedi side. Um, and that, com- that comes from someone who liked what J.J. Um, Abrams did and liked the circular and recursive nature of Force Awakens and could appreciate that as a piece. Yeah. Even, even as I understood the criticisms about it. I love the... Com- the beat points of Force Awakens being this recapturing of the entire franchise in a artful way, and then Last Jedi just being this this subversive drop off a cliff into new territory in terms of how people behave and that people fail and some other things. Now we're going back into nine, and it's the and it's Abrams again. Mm-hmm. But I don't think, but I'm really excited about what it's going to be because Abrams will not go back and just do another recursive round of 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 Star Wars imagery. Like, he's not right. going to do that again. And I really want to see... Because I still think Abrams has some really interesting ideas. And, I, and I'm and i hoping... There's so much... There's so much uh, anticipation and stakes at, at, at hand if they're going to wrap up this Skywalker series, of the Skywalker right. legacy. <clears throat> not the entire the entirety of the Star Wars universe, but the this story that we've been through eight movies worth plus spinoffs 
about these people, if they're going to wrap it up in one final movie, that 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 anticipation is so high. Yeah. And yeah. I want to see them succeed. And so, and, and, and kind of mapping it out, I was talking to my son about it. And I'm like, so you realize at the end of force of uh, last Jedi there, the rebellion is like 19 people or something. <laughs> and the, <laughs> and the big bad has taken over the universe again. And so, and then also the rebellion just lost their power character. So this right. is like a real, this is a real thing. Sort of lost him. And so, yeah. uh, I don't know the, I love that kind of story. I love the long odds um, underdog and how the hell are they going to pull this off kind of vibe. And I'm really hoping that that's the thrill that it gives us. And there's been some nods. There's been nods by some of the actors who have commented a little bit here and there in their interviews. And they've said, you know, it feels really loose and a little risky and a little uh, exciting compared to some of Mm -hmm. the other things they've done. And so maybe, maybe we'll be. Interesting. I'm also really curious as to how they're going to um, gracefully handle including Princess Leia. Yeah, I hope they can gracefully include it. I like the idea that they're going to only use existing footage. I just, um, mm-hmm. I think that they had such an opportunity to um, remove her in a powerful way when she got blown out of the the uh, capital ship deck, and the fact I that they too. brought her back. Um, put him in a pickle that's like, well, now how do they really gracefully let her out? And now she's dead. Right. <laughs> yeah, they kind of host themselves there. Yeah. So anyway, I'm, uh, I don't know. So, but I'm optimistic. I'm optimistic because it feels so, um, it has such a slim chance of meeting the expectations of the majority of its fan base that I'm rooting for it to win just like I root for the rebellion. Right? <laughs> 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 well, at the same time, I've replaced my BB-8 with a BB-9E. So, I don't know. All right, what's your uh, what's your third? Oh, how do you feel about um, how do you feel about Star Wars Nine though? I'm excited. I I didn't. I if it doesn't thrill me the way a Star Wars movie should thrill me, do but I'm mean, still excited about it. Do you mean the prospect of Nine doesn't, or Jedi didn't either? Well, I enjoy Jedi a lot, but I mean, like when I was younger, the idea of not rushing out and immediately buying it to be in my collection mm-hmm. is ludicrous. And I only saw it once in the theater kind of thing. Yeah, It just, it, none of them have killed it for me the way I'd hoped it would. I enjoyed right. Solo a lot, but it still wasn't everything I would want in a Star Wars movie. But maybe I'm just old and cynical now. Well, because I, <clears throat> because I put everything on Star Wars 9 because it seemed to be the longest odds. Um, mm-hmm. I excluded these others, but uh, you know Blake and I were talking last time, and we're both more interested in the two Disney Plus series coming out than anything that's been in the films. Right? The Mandalorian, yeah. the Mandalorian, and uh, and the Cassian Andor series are to me more exciting as prospects than Star Wars Nine is. Yeah, the cast on Mandalorian is insane, absolutely insane, and I and I loved Rogue One. And the world that we saw in it, and the idea that we could get a prequel to that that shows even an even earlier view of the precursor to a rebellion sounds. I mean, I just I'm all over that. I want that so bad. Yeah. So yeah, so yeah, you know. Anyway, so I yeah, I guess. But but anyway, Star Wars Nine was the one that felt like the hardest to do successfully, and that's why I chose it. All right, what's your third? Yeah, I'm sorry. I think- 
my last one is Dark Crystal Age of Resistance. Uh-huh. Because it looks super rad. And... You are the target market. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I keep coming across those creature effects and stuff on Instagram, and I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> Chris has, got, Chris has probably has seen this already. He probably has a neck tattoo of this, but they—I mean, technically speaking, they've only shown three images, yeah. and they just came out a couple days ago. Yeah. Well, the um, the main but, puppet with the face and everything with the whatever that elven race is that they have. What is that? What are they called? The hoodoo Gelflings. Gelflings. Um, Gelfling. The uh, the effects of the new puppet are so rad. The color. In the lips yeah. and stuff, and the and the tra- slight uh, milky translucency of the of the cheeks and stuff. Oh, it looks so yeah, cool. it looks it's fascinating to me, and I'm really interested to see how they create this world without using excessive CG, because they've confirmed that the only CG in it will be background, like matte painting type ah, stuff. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm very excited about that concept. You know, it reminds me a lot of the Guillermo del Toro fantasy stuff in that you're marveling at the technical acuity and how mm-hmm. uh, imaginative and how detailed and how amazing the practical effects are when someone else would have just made entirely CGI and just gone, just thrown a bunch yeah. of sp- sparklers at it and call it a day. That's how I, yeah. that's my sense from looking at those few images of Dark Crystal. I'm like, well, this is that. It's It's going to be a labor of love for people who love the craft and understand how hard it is to create something immersive that's uh, practical today yeah that's interesting so do we know when that's coming out in 2019 is it late no netflix is so like let's keep this stuff under the... yeah yeah it's they... amazing they even told us it was happening frankly right yeah like we thought that there would be a trailer a couple days ago because that was the anniversary of the original release right and that's when they released the images and the actors the voice list have you seen the voice cast on it? No. It's insane, dude. Uh, let me bring it up real quick here. Uh, all right, so I'm just going to read these off nice and quick here. Okay. Uh, Natalie Emmanuel. Oh. Uh, Mark Hamill. Harvey Firestein. Helen Bonham Carter. Jason Isaacs. Keegan Michael Key. Simon Pegg. Andy Samberg. Eddie Izzard. Toby Jones. Mark Strong. And Alicia Vikander. There's like three different movies there that I want to see. <laughs> right? Yeah, it's insane to me. Like, the cast is just absolutely nuts. Wow. You know, it is amazing that Netflix has even shown that that's... Uh that's coming because things like 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 how maniac which i haven't seen again it's on my list maniac mm-hmm. just came out of nowhere yeah i didn't know that emma stone was doing a psychedelic alternate reality crazy mind trip netflix show did you yeah. then all of a sudden she yeah. just suddenly was doing it <laughs> and we have like no idea it was even coming and yeah it's just really interesting to me it is something that netflix and the other services if they were to do it hulu does a little bit of this but particularly Netflix, um, they have the advantage that major film productions don't have, which is that they are, they can, they can work in anonymity. They can pull people together and go somewhere weird, which is what they tend to do, right? They film in unusual places and they just do a thing and there's no fanfare about it. And then uh, suddenly, and then they suddenly reveal it without, without a a trailer or anything. It just suddenly happens. 
the fact yeah. that they're not beholden to the marketing machine that they have to create trailers and build buzz and try to return on the investment and all that frees them to work in this in this style that the movies just cannot do. Yeah, that's true. Even even Hulu when they try to do secret projects, at some point someone they flinch, right? It's like a game of chicken, and some executives like, "Well, we got to tell people Runaways is coming," you know. Right. So, uh, um, and and Runaways is going to have another season uh, coming up that looks really good as well. Yeah, I, I still haven't finished the first season on that. I was enjoying it. I just never went back to it. I, I mean, I'm definitely going to watch it, and I like Runaways. Um, I would love it if it wasn't so reminiscent of a CW teen yeah, romance drama. It still feels that way. Um, it feels more like a Riverdale and less like a, you know, I don't know what, I don't know what <laughs> I, like, I actually do like Riverdale. <clears throat> That's fine. I agree. But, but I mean, you know, these, I mean, Sabrina, Sabrina is apparently much darker and more urgent and kind of creepy than people thought it was going to be. But all of these at these, uh, these adaptations of these shows have a, a teen, a teen vibe to them that it's hard to get around when you're 45. Or 80. Only when you're a grumpy old man. <coughs> sure, okay. All right, so my Whatever last... Scrooge. My last Eight one. days for shipping! When, <laughs> when, you, uh, when, you, when you pooled Hellboy and a board game together, you stole my thunder the way I stole yours from the news <laughs> section in that I my final option was a multimedia thing, and that is oh. I left Expanse off of 2018 even though it was... <laughs> probably my favorite tv anything in 2018 because i love that property so desperately that i want to have its babies but i'm even more excited about their new season on amazon by virtue of how a the story went which you haven't seen and because it goes into it on you know the type of territory that anything could happen from the viewer's perspective if you haven't read books you're like what the hell is even happening and if you have read, and then if you have read the books, you're like, oh, I know what's happening. Plague hit me there. Yeah, if if you if you haven't read the books, you're like, what does this mean? And if you have read the books, you're like, I know what that means. And either way, it's exciting. Yeah. But it's also that the momentum was there and the love was there enough that Amazon would go in and and swipe it out of Doom and save it and put more money and more support behind it than they got at Sci-Fi. It's so mm. promising to me. I'm so excited to see what's going to happen because they did so much with the budget they had on sci-fi and they did right. and they did so much despite <clears throat> the pretty poor promotional work and, you know, the marketing of it and everything else and the inability for you to ever see it a second time if you didn't have the right distribution method and all that other horrible shit that had um, had been a result of sci-fi's really bad uh, contract work. But the production company right. the, in 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 its Amazon uh, incarnation, it's like it's it's leveraged to be as big and long and to to steal the word expansive that it wants to be, and I'm really hoping it does. I'm really hoping that they go all out with it because I love those characters and I love this live action version of these book series that I love. And so, you know, I I just I cannot wait until that happens. And it's and I follow some of them on Instagram and they're sort of wrapping up their filming. And getting into production and so post production, so I'm really excited about it. And then the multimedia uh, angle of this is that the next book in the series, which is called Tiamat's Wrath, is released in March. 
um, uh. last year or earlier this year, I guess, was when I was doing. Yeah, it was earlier this year. I burned through all, almost all of the books, and there are many of them. And I yeah, burned through them all. Not, they are not short. They're not short. And after the first three, I read them all. Actually, the first two, I read them all digitally, which was a first for me. Um, Although I do hate to admit that I would probably read them faster than I would watch the series. Just yeah, that's from a true. Time standpoint, and, and honestly, if I had to, if if you had to choose, I would say read them. Yeah, I would. As yeah. much as I love watching it, the the reading is even better. Um, I discovered there they did some novellas and some smaller little uh, digest pieces, and I found a couple that I didn't have, and I'm going to read those soon. But anyway, the next big book in the series is coming out in March, and so there you go. Happy cool. Bir- happy birthday to me. <clears throat> so uh, <laughs> that's our three hopeful entertainment somethings for 2019. We got a lot to look forward to. Yeah. Yeah, we, we sure do. We um we had a plan. We sure do. <laughs> we had a planned plundering segment um that we always do, and we we had talked about um establishing a few personal goals for 2019, and yeah, we talked about our arts and cons stuff that's happening. So we've largely covered that. But how do you want to how do you want to leave your player plan plundering? Is it is it the the game projects or what are you going to say? Uh, as far as like planned plundering, um. Like that's usually like stuff we're looking forward to doing or watching or whatever, right? Well, yeah, but we since we did our hopeful somethings, I mean, we did our 2019 wrap up. We talked about making. Yeah, our we did plan. our 2019, but I'm actually like like for the entire month of December and yeah. January, uh-huh. I am watching old noir movies. Oh, okay, which I'm really looking forward to. Actually, it's nice. obviously it's research for my game. Yes, but it's kind of fun to think that. Like for the next month, month and a half, all I'm gonna watch your old black and white detective movies and stuff. Are you gonna are you gonna creak in your chair and yell at the bellow at the TV that they're not using the triangles correctly? I will leave that to you. <laughs> Alright, I'll do that. Just send me a little text like Tom, they're not using the triangles correctly and I'll just bell, yeah, yeah. just scare my children who are asleep, you know. <laughs> they're contaminating crime scenes, Tom. That's great. Um well I have some I definitely have some active stuff I'll recommend, but it's in my rum fueled recommendation because it's ongoing. So I will for this segment just kind of go back to the my original thought for this, which was sort of my personal goals for two thousand nineteen, and that are that is of course getting post human out. But uh also it's to nice take my first dip into the world of enamel pins, which we've talked about oh. that I need to, I need to do. And I, I'm ready to do it. And I just haven't had the the time to dive into the methodology of it, but I think I need to get yes. something going because I want to do it. Absolutely. I like them pins. Um, yes. Okay. So what about your rum field recommendations? Do you have anything that you want to recommend today? Oh man, no. Normally I would say yes, but I've legitimately like I started out December thinking I would just watch all the terrible DTV right. uh direct video horror movies that were Christmas related on anything I could find and there was not a single redeeming one. Every single <laughs> one was somehow worse than I thought it was going to be. And that's all I've seen, basically. So I have nothing I can recommend. <laughs> oh my god, that's they a, were awful, man. A new low. <laughs> well, oh man, that did remind me though. Uh, my pal went to a Dickens festival, of which I, apparently there are more than one, and they have, they're growing in popularity. But 
hey, listen, you know, thematic cosplay for regular people. And, yep. um, you know, it's the Renaissance Fair for wintertime. And uh, he gave me some photos of a female Krampus that is excellent that I need to send you. Uh, it's, sexier, nice. it's sexier than a Krampus should be, but it's at the same time, you know. No such thing as too sexy for Krampus. Even your Krampus <laughs> is pretty sexy, so. Got a long, <laughs> a long tongue. All right, well, my Rumfield recommendations are as follows. They're all active, pretty much active stuff. Um, uh, I have, as I talked with Blake about in the last segment that you have not yet heard either, uh, I finally broke down and ventured into the world of audiobooks on his recommendation. He told me to get off my high uh, horse, and so I did. Sure. Sure. I've been recommending it for years, but whatever. Yeah, I know. You have too. And and anyway, my point is high horse. He recommended it specifically because of the author. You've been saying in general I should be doing audiobooks. And you got to keep in mind, I only started listening to podcasts in the car over the last year. I was mm-hmm. always listening to other things, and so podcast led me to finally breaking down and trying this and so i got uh the audiobook version of neil stevenson's book reemdy which is oh, okay. three books ahead into stuff i hadn't read or thought that i hadn't read of his um and books that i had on my shelf but i asked okay. blake to tell me which one to just dive into and he said do this one and i can see why because there is a whole lot for me to love in this and uh, we'll talk more about it, I think, on the show when, when I've finished it. Um, it is interesting to look at the running time of different audiobooks and seeing how, you know, how they vary. Um, oh, yeah. And they vary based on the speed of the reader as well as the and the production and also, obviously, the original content. Well, Neil Stevenson is not a short writer. Every no, book he, he does is, 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 a, is a massive tome that you could murder someone with. Um <laughs> I thought I was nearing the end of this book. <laughs> I've been loving mm-hmm. it. I want. I look forward to being in the car on my commute or on my bike so that I can just listen to this okay. thing. Right? And uh, I thought I was nearing the end, and I'm at like hour 18, and I discovered it is a 43-hour or 30-something hour recording. So, Holy crap. And that's typical of Stevenson that I could be at a point where it sounds like this is the wrap-up to someone else's story and for him it's the wrap up to a segment of his story (laughs) and uh and what i love about the audiobook format is that i don't have that inherent empirical sense of place that you have in a physical book same thing goes with uh reading the digital versions of the uh, expanse stuff that you got me Mm -hmm. in fact um i when I was doing that, I didn't know where I was because I wasn't following a table of contents and I didn't have the thickness of the book to tell me. And with the right. audiobooks, you have even less because you're not looking ever at any clue. Like even on an audiobook, you have, I mean, uh, even on a, on, a, on a digital book, you have the, the um, perspective that a chapter is ending because you see with the corner of your eye, you could see that you're at the end of a chapter, right? Right. Which I hate. And I particularly hate when it's on the page in a physical book and it's on the next page over. That drives me nuts. (laughs) But on an audio book, it just just suddenly, sometimes you can't even tell you switch chapters, depending on how the narrative works. And anyway, the the author or the voice voice actor for this book is very um, good. A deep timber guy, but he uses, he has all these, he does these different voices of these different characters and he uses pitch and affectation and just slight tweaks differentiate them as well as accents and things and he does such a good job it's just been so great Hmm. 
So I don't want it to end, but I'm neck deep in Reemdy, so I guess I'm about halfway through. Um, The next one I'll recommend is that I'm still working on Clone Wars. I like this show enough that I... cartoon? Yeah. I keep going back to it at the expense of these other properties that I could be watching. Like I have Maniac or, you know, Legion. Yeah, there's definitely something to be said for a show that you can just sit down and enjoy. And it's like, it's light, you don't have to... Yeah, there's definitely something to be said for that kind of thing. Well, and Clone Wars has been an interesting thing. It has gone from being a fairly mediocre story with a rudimentary and awkward animation style and simple enough that I could with the first season I was like wow this is actually one of those few projects that I could draw to so I can kind of look down and draw to it and then kind of listen and then glance up when I want to see something and the first season was like that but then they took it up a notch with the second season the animation got much better and nuanced the story got more interesting and I found myself just watching instead of working while I was watching. Hmm. And uh, and then it kind of has come and it, it comes in waves now. I'm in season four. Season three and season four both have had some really high points and then some low points. But what I like about it is it has legitimized a whole section of the franchise that I completely dismissed, which is this whole prequel period. Is The Clone Wars show is more interesting than all three of the prequel movies combined. <laughs> and that's just, and it's not even trying to be. It's just that they've given it room to breathe, and so you, you care about it. the Clone Wars are actually happening in the in the in the show, and it's ongoing, <laughs> and there's campaigns, and it's and it's somewhat anthology based, right? Like at the beginning of every episode, one of the voice actors does this old timey announcer voice that says, you know, trouble on Camino, and then he, and then the framework for that episode starts, and it could be what. It, follows the last one exactly or it could be skipping ahead six months in the war and making reference to things that have happened that you don't see so in other words some episodes might just be you know this episode everything was happening before continues and then the next one might be you know three senators have been kidnapped by this bounty hunter and so they have to go and you know they've tracked them to the underwater planet of whatever the fuck and and things are dire and then they start and you never get to see the kidnapping or any of that other continuity. But they just describe it in the in the foreword for the episode. And I think that's really interesting okay. as an anthology-style storytelling. Because it, it gives them room to stretch out the time of it and give you the sense that things are happening in these campaigns. And this, this, this story is massive and long and years long. And I think that that's... It's really powerful, much more so than what the movies did, which was just like little blips. A couple battles and a lot of whining, right? Also, the Anakin uh, Anakin, uh, Skywalker in the show is conflicted, and he's slowly, you know, he's slowly turning, or he's slowly losing his control. But he is a... He's a hero more than he is an anti-hero in this story. But does he still hate sand? He does. He does hate sand. Um, But... Like you never, because of the actor and the editing and the and the directing and everything else about the prequels, you never gave two shits about Anakin as a young hero in the middle of that series. Like yeah, it's always true. you're just killing time for him to lose his shit. In the cartoon, he's actually you actually follow him as a protagonist. 
Do you know what I mean? Like it's you believe mm-hmm. him to be a protagonist, even as you know he is going to fall from grace, and uh, I think that's pretty hard to do. So anyway, yeah. And the other thing is, I've often said, and we talked about this about the um, the future of the Star Wars franchise, uh, what Ryan Johnson's been given the keys to, and what the some of the other creators like the Game of Thrones guys were given some opportunities to do some some stories, and now these Disney Plus stories are happening. Where we said, hey, what they wanted, what we need to do is get away from the the. Uh, the Skywalker legacy and let's see the regular people or let's see other aspects of this universe that don't have, cl- you know, clones and Siths and Jedi, Jedi in them and are just the, the inner workings of this system. And the Clone Wars has had, I mean, even though it has all those main things in it, it spends a lot mm-hmm. of time talking about smugglers over here and bounty hunters over there and different political, the ramifications of, peaceful planets being colonized or being subjugated for the war efforts and there's a lot of that kind of nuance that I enjoy it's not just always lightsabers flying at each other so that's good right the clone the yeah, uh, that's a perk, yeah, it, yeah and the droids are still irritating as hell and the um, but on the other hand the clones are much more fascinating than anything in the movies and they're they really make the retconning that the stormtroopers are make less sense because the clones, I get that they're bioengineered and they're trained heavily to be warriors and everything, but the clones are very believable in the show as being a military force of real sentient people who do have relationships and do get injured and die in battle and are, and they're cannon fodder, but they're actually Mm -hmm. very skilled and it's, and there are aspects of, C.J. Cherry's work about clones in her Cytine series. There's aspects of is this borderline slavery? I mean, there's lots of the social dynamic that are just starting to be explored in the story about like these clones saying, this is our duty and this is our programming and this is our meaning in life, but at the same time, they're just throwing us at things. And we are we do have value in our lives. Our life has meaning even if we were bred for war. And um, I think that that's the most interesting thing you could do with a clone story, right? Mm-hmm. And they, and I think because of the limitations of how Lucas filmed the original Star Wars, we inherited this retcon that stormtroopers are notoriously bad soldiers and bad aims and incompetent, and they've used all kinds of rationale for that and saying, well, they're conscripted people now and they're not even well trained and all this other shit. But it, but all that's all that's just retcon to explain the old movies, right? There's nothing about that that's... And you get a sense of this in Rogue One and Solo that plenty of people are nervous around a stormtrooper, right? Mm-hmm. There's no reason... It's not that these guys can't fight, but but they've been presented that way just to make sense of them falling off the edge of the bridge and <laughs> shooting each other in the face or whatever in Star Wars. So right. it's frustrating to see the Clone Wars show showing such um, realistic military... Um, dynamics with clone troopers and then think, well, in 30 years time or a little less than 30 years time, you're going to have bumbling idiots in power, in uh, white armor that are truly lemmings in their cannon fodder nature. And that's frustrating. And that's why I hope more of the, more of these uh, spinoff series and more of like the Disney plus stuff will show stormtroopers as, as, as well as many other aspects of the empire as being, um, you know, they may not be crack special forces guys, but they're still trained 
badasses with armor and a laser and you don't have one. Okay. So that's what I want to see. And uh, and then lastly, really quickly, I want to say that uh, Ralph Breaks the Internet is fantastic. I still haven't seen the first one. Uh, yeah, you told me that. That's astonishing. Yeah. Um, There's no way to watch those things without just buying the discs. Yeah, or just, uh, I need to bring you maybe... Uh, You've said that before, but whatever, man. Uh, okay, well, um, it's another one where how did they beat the first one when the, the first one was so perfect as its as its own standalone thing. And then, and then also the burden on this one is the something like the emoji movie already covered ground of showing us all of these, uh, these, uh, you know, these inter- internet companies in and pandering to them. So when yeah. Ralph breaks the internet does the same thing, I was expecting them to make all of the companies virtual or just sort of, you know, creative renaming of things, but they actually have legitimate, um, corporate entity is represented in it and they even have the Disney world of whatever that website is and you know it's just it, it could be better if they didn't do that and it was it was more yeah. stylized but at the same time it was impressive how good it really was and how much I enjoyed it so there you go hmm. Chris it's uh, the end of 2018 and the end of our podcasting for the year I suppose so. You're going to sit there through the remainder of the month and watch your really bad uh, direct-to-video No, I stopped stuff. doing that. I'm watching old noir videos. Oh, right. Now. You're going to sit in your chair and watch old noir videos and not take notes about all the things you're not going to tell me were rad about them. At the very least, you can text them to me. And it will be almost I'll as if we talked about it. I'll send you pictures occasionally. I want screen caps. I want femme okay. fatale, I want femme fatale screen caps whenever possible, please. Okay, I'll keep it. I'll keep that in mind. You know, she came into the room and he knew she was trouble. That kind of thing. I like those. <laughs> well, uh, you know what? I'm really looking forward to next year. All of our adventures we're going to have, the shows we haven't yet figured out that are going to happen. Uh, yeah, and, really. Uh, the and uh, the podcasting to come. Yeah. We uh, we passed episode fifty. Do you realize that? <laughs> yeah, that's crazy, isn't it? I'm I'm very proud of it. Yeah, yeah, we rock. For for a bunch of uh, tired old men with too much to do, and plus you, <laughs> I think we're doing pretty well. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, okay. thanks for listening to us through the year, guys, and we will continue trucking along in 2019. That's assuming there is a 2019. It's not necessarily yeah, yeah, a foregone assuming. conclusion at this point, but yeah, really, <laughs> we'll try anyway. Back to the we back to the noir much, movies. We got too much stuff that we're that, that we're releasing in 2019 for it to not happen. Dang I know. It. <laughs> I know there was that there was that episode of the uh, the Amazon anthology uh, Androids Dream, where the mm-hmm. am, where the very self referential where the Amazon uh, the Amazon manufacturing machine was churning out product and sending it out via drone but civilization had collapsed and everyone had been killed off and it had uh, it had polluted the environment and basically the earth had been decimated but it was all on <laughs> subscription model so it was like amazon prime as the big bad i couldn't believe nice. they did it it was astounding nice. the point being that's what will be like for us if the world falls apart somehow we'll get the distribution model out there so that Wally will be stacking little cubes of our shit, just kind of compressed. <laughs> <laughs> Seems All right. accurate.
Yeah. <laughs> All right, man. That was great. Uh, happy holidays to you and your family, man. Yeah, and, you too, man. And your doggos, and to everybody who's listening as well. Yes. All right. Everyone, peace and love and stuff. Well, yeah, and Vossel. And, and Legos. Yes, and Legos. <laughs> I'm going home. Don't leave yet. And listen, maybe if we start dancing, other people will join in. Okay. Oh, don't move. I just got to get the door. Ted, Annette! Hey, glad you could come. How you doing? Give me your coats. Everybody, this is Ted and Annette Fleming. Ted has a small carpet cleaning business in receivership. Annette's drawing a salary from a deferred bonus from two years ago. They got 15000 left on the house at 8%. So they're okay. So, does anybody want to play Parcheesi? Okay, who brought the dog?